Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. This is Dan Aykroyd, happy to be on Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. From comics and video games to science and technology, if it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Brandon. Hi, I'm Jonna. And this is a very special episode of Nerdy Show. Why is it special? It's our 200th episode, for starters. Oh, oh really? It is. Oh, it feels like we've had a lot more than that. Technically, <laughs> technically, we have. Back a few years ago, we used to have these .5 episodes that happened before, and when we switched to the main numbering, I didn't count those. Oh, okay. So technically, yeah, there's been more, but hey, it's 200. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever that happened for real, I don't don't know when that was. This show in particular has been years in the making. In this episode, we're sharing our first video game experiences, first games played, first games beaten, our earliest formative experiences from consoles, arcades, and even earlier. There's earlier than consoles? I'm just kidding. I'm old. I know all about that. (laughs) I'm older than I sound, apparently. You're not just going to hear from us three, you're also going to hear from all the hosts on the Nerdy Show Network, as well as many of the guests we've had on the show over the past two years. Some famous people? Famous people. People like uh, Chris Carter, creator of X-Files, Weird Al Yankovic, The Proto Men, Futurama's David X. Cohen, game composer Jeremy Soule. You asked Weird Al? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Oh, man, I can't wait to hear what his first experience is. <laughs> that's just, that's just be something weird, or he's just going to be like, Oregon Trail. <laughs> that was my first. <laughs> We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into when we started collecting these memories. Because it sounds like a simple thing. Someone's first gaming experience. But over the past three decades, which is my entire lifetime, (laughs) we've seen gaming evolve from basically paramecium to dinosaurs at least. It's been absolutely massive. And this episode doesn't just chronicle the memories of a few people from a single generation. It actually spans the entirety of the medium from before the earliest Pong cabinet to present. This is an oral history of video games, and I was shocked by how many truly profound and completely different experiences everyone's had. Were there any traumatic experiences? Like, my family was dying while I was playing this video game, but man, I remember this video game forever because of it. You know? I, know. I kind of vaguely remember one of them being sort of like that, and I'm really excited to get to that one later. Oh, jeez. Well, we've got to save the best remember. for last. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was actually uh, a few. We can't take credit for coming up with this episode. It was actually given to us by a fan, Benjamin Britt. We're a listener-supported network, and fans who fund us have the ability to earn microsodes. That's where we talk about any topic they want for 15 minutes. 
Benjamin Britt asked us to talk about our first video game experiences, and eventually he juiced up his one microsode to a triple length show and asked us to get everyone from the network we could. And then we doubled that triple length, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ben, suffice <laughs> it to say, uh, you inspired us, and we've blown this episode up. <laughs> Before we dip into the archives, I figured it seems only right for uh, each of us to share our own personal backgrounds. And uh, Brandon, you have seniority here, so uh, what's your oh, first... Oh, because I'm old? Or just because I'm better than everyone. You're because you're old. Yeah, I'm old. Oh, thanks. Which you could say means you're better than everyone. <laughs> okay, my memory is a little foggy because I'm so old. I can't remember which came first, the Texas Instrument or the Mac 2GS. I'm assuming the Mac 2GS because it was a computer and the Texas Instrument was a console. The first game I remember was a giant black floppy disk you put in the computer that had no hard drive and it loaded King's Quest 1. And yes, I'm that old. I don't know if I played it that much when I first saw it. I, I remember my brothers playing it. I remember none of us beating it for a very long time. A lot of text-based games. But my other memory was the Texas Instrument console. Uh, don't ask how or why we had that. But the first game I remember was either Moon Jumper or Moon Walker. I know Moon Walker's the Michael Jackson movie, so I'm, I don't know if it's that one. But it's this thing where you're on the moon and you're a car and you shoot straight up and forward at the same time. You have to shoot little spaceships and like meteors and jump over potholes at the same time. Wow. That's literally the first thing I can remember. Oh, also, I think we had um, Space Invaders. That's the first thing you can remember, period? That's the first, no. The first <laughs> thing I remember, period, is like being abandoned in a forest covered in snow naked. But video game-wise, <laughs> video game-wise, yes. Other than that, my other like first memories are from like the NES, you know, um, mm -hmm. Wizards and Warriors or Iron Sword. I can't remember what the first one is. And Final Fantasy 1 and Dragon Quest 1. Those are the very first video game memories that I have that I can dig out of my brain at this point. That's cool. I didn't even know it went back that far. I mean, King's Quest One when you're a little kid is fucking scary. Yeah, it's still scary. I played it like three years ago and I was so freaking scared. It's like yeah, you walk up to the thing and it's like oh a snake and it jumps out and kills you. It's like you died. I'm like what? And it's just this music plays and you're just like you hide under a sheet because you're like oh god it's a snake. It you know, legitimately creeps me out more than most horror games do. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Man, don't even get into King's Quest like two with that like witch or whatever and then she eats you. That's some scary. Oh shit. god. Yeah. God, there's like a dwarf in the forest running around. Fuck. It's scary shit. Another scary game was the, like, like I just said, Iron Sword or Wizards and Warriors. I can't remember because at some point in the series, the name changed. But you play this little knight. You have this tiny sword you can barely swing. And they have that item, the cloak and invisibility, which actually turns you invisible. So you can't see your character, but all the enemies can still hit you. Oh, my God. It's a horrible, horrible game glitch. <laughs> oh but God. I just remember the game scaring the shit out of me. Because you have this, you're a knight with a sword, but the sword is so small. It's like you're holding a spoon. And you have to get one inch away from the enemy and, like, stab them. And there's, like, bosses. And it's just, it's a horrible, horrible game that you can't beat ever. I tried for years. Horrible game. How about you, Jana? My earliest ones were mainly just educational games on my little DOS PC that I had. So, I mean, it was great because it put me ahead in preschool. I think I knew my ABCs better than every other kid there because of those games. The one that I remember the most is called Donald's Alphabet Chase. You can probably imagine what that one's about. A lot of screaming and angry ducks. Was it while he was in the Navy? Because that would be an intense game. <laughs> um, I mean, he might have been on leave because he was in his house, but it's possible. I actually uh, went back and downloaded it a couple of years ago. It was very nostalgic. But as for real video games, I'm pretty sure that Sonic 1 on Genesis was the first one I played. My dad got us a Genesis, and we would always play it together, so that's a big reason why Sonic is so special to me. Anybody who knows me at all knows that I'm a big Sonic person. 
and it took me a while before I was okay with playing it alone because Sonic dying just scared the hell out of me. Like, if he <laughs> got squished or if he drowned, I just, like, would have to kind of ball up in the fetal position. I just couldn't <laughs> handle it. Oh, yeah, Sonic dying is far more traumatic scary. than Mario dying because, like, like <laughs> Mario can swim in the water. He doesn't give a fuck. Sonic, hell no. Like, you really are confronted with a legitimate drowning scenario, and when you get crushed, you get crushed. And the look on his face, oh. like, he, you know, like, he knows he's dying, and he stares at you. He stares at the screen, and then doesn't he, like, fall off the screen or something? He just, like, falls off. You're like, oh, you're going to hell. Um, but yeah, every, every honestly, every time I, I like want to scare myself for no good reason, I load this Sonic the Hedgehog creepypasta video, and it always scares me. He's like running in space so fast, and he just like slams into spikes, and he's just impaled on them. <laughs> That's just like the first part, and the music's all like slowed down. <laughs> I've never seen that, uh, but it's, it's we'll, we'll link to it on this episode's page if I can yeah. find it. So I can still barely handle Sonic being crushed. Even today, as a 26 year old, <laughs> I did have a real game on my DOS PC. It was, well, if you want to call it that, it was a Flintstones game. I think it was called Dino Lost in Bedrock or something, and it was awful. <laughs> it was the worst game. Everything killed you. I remember if you just stand still at the very beginning of the game, a little fly comes up and you just fall down dead if it touches you. <laughs> <laughs> After you die, the, there's a screen that comes up that shows Fred on like a one of those ambulance elephants, and it says, watch out for those. <laughs> Anything that kills you, watch out for those. Watch out for those. <laughs> those what? So what I guess that was my first game, and it's, I'm so pleased that that's what I started with. Because everything was, it was all up from there. I really want to play that game. I, wanna, I honestly want to stand still and watch a bee kill him. And just say, watch out for those. What about you? It sounds to me like you guys benefited a lot from adults or kids, like siblings who were also playing games at the time. I didn't have any such influences. I didn't even have cable. So I, I'm very sorry for you because when you grow up in a household like mine, video games is the only way to go to get out of there. I mean, I got by, but basically that put me in a situation where my first experience with video games, because I didn't even live in a neighborhood with other kids. I was an isolationist sort of upbringing in some ways. Wasn't bad, just didn't really interact much with pop culture up until a certain point in the late 80s. And I was at a preschool, and that was kind of my gateway to video games. There was a um, summer program, and they hauled some arcade cabinets into this recreation room. There was like the, uh, the Superman arcade cabinet and uh, a couple others from that era of the general like side-scroller beat-em-ups and so on. And then we'd take field trips out to ice skating rinks and roller rinks where I encountered Pac-Man for the first time, well, Miss Pac-Man specifically, which is a, a, a long-term seduction, which has never quite <laughs> ended, nor has it been properly consummated, but I try repeatedly. I didn't have quarters ready. I was unprepared. So a lot of my early experiences were, you know, watching the demos and imagining that I was playing. Eventually, I got a hold of some quarters, but um, never enough. I remember one time I went to an ice skating rink Never having ice skated before, thoroughly unprepared for the terrifying experience of running around on frozen water with blades attached to your feet. All there was to do was to wander around the arcade section that they had, but I had no quarters, so I was just watching the double dragon cabinet all day. That sounds exactly like every time I went to an ice skating rink, I just hung on the arcade. Did they have Mortal Kombat 1 at that time? No. No, no this is pre-Mortal Kombat. No Splatterhouse. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, I was going. No, no Revolution X? No, that was all later. <laughs> that was all later. I knew about Mario. I caught some commercials and so on. I saw a little bit of Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I knew it was out there. And I remember going over to a kid named Skylar's house, and he had this big Halloween birthday bash 
there was even like bobbing for apples and stuff. I had my first taste of bubble tape there. Um, <laughs> oh shit, I forgot about that stuff. <laughs> and they had an NES with Mario 2 in it. I don't remember if I got a chance to play it or not because there were some kids who were pretty much glued to the thing, but it was definitely super fascinating to me. And then my first hands-on formative gaming experiences came from an uncle who had an NES. I played Zelda and, uh, and didn't do very good at it, but that was it. Took me a lot longer to actually get a console, but at least it was there. Like the arcades were there. Occasionally, yes, was there. Yeah, and and I knew that it was something that was very appealing to me. I felt this distinct draw to experience video games. I knew it was for me. The earliest video game on record. Do you guys know about that? It's not Pong. No. I forgot what it's called. It's, it's in the Mayan calendar. It's so old. Practically, 1940s. Thomas T. Goldsmith Jr. and Estelle Ray Mann's cathode ray tube amusement device. Excuse me? Yeah, that thing is really cool. What is that? It's basically a World War II era radar screen with this really rudimentary button and dial missile game. There wasn't really much development after that. I mean, there were some tic-tac-toe games, some pong-like games in the 1950s, but they were all tech demos. It wasn't until the early 70s that even the most rudimentary tech was ready to be marketed to the general public. The 70s, the dawn of, like, home computers? It was getting there. It was, yeah, it was getting there. I mean, it, the personal computer was more so a product of the 80s, and that revolution was there, but all the stepping stones were building up to it. We were seeing, you know, the business machines in offices and so on, and people were taking some interesting technology, interesting and very expensive technology home with them. We'll get to that soon. Our first clip, actually, takes us to the early 70s and a very surprising video game experience. My name is Mark Frauenfelder. I'm the editor-in-chief of Wired Magazine and the founder of Boing Boing. And my first video game experience was my father brought home an HP 41C calculator. And it was uh, probably in the early 70s. It was a pocket calculator back when pocket calculators were really expensive. And it came with like a magnetic tape reader and it came with like some demo games. And one of them was like a moon landing game. So it was all just text-based, but the object of the game was that you had a certain amount of fuel, like a certain number of pounds of fuel, and you had a lander that was, was approaching the moon. And so you had to determine how, how much fuel to burn as you were approaching the moon. And so you had to like burn some fuel. And then after you burned it and hit enter, it would show you how fast the lander was falling and how much farther it was, what its elevation was. So the object was to like touch the surface of the moon while you were traveling five miles an hour or less, because otherwise it would break. So if you enter too much fuel, you know, you would actually be rising. And if you didn't enter enough fuel, you'd, you would drop too fast and, and crush your lander. And even though it was like very simple, there were no graphics or anything. I, I loved it. It was so cool. And it showed me this was before people had personal computers. This was uh, before any, anybody had a personal computer in their house in, in the early 70s like this. So, so to me, it was like an amazing thing and, and kind of a, a glimpse at, at what was going to happen to the world. It was really, really fun. Wow. So that's back when games were fun still. <laughs> I mean, that, that game sounds like I want to play that game. I did some cursory searches. I'm certainly there's a record out there somewhere, but it wasn't easily revealed. That game is raw math. It sounds really dull now, but if that was the only thing available back then, it probably would have been super badass. And that was right there, right 
before the gaming revolution happened, it wasn't long after that that arcade cabinets began to find their way into public spaces across America, challenging pinball's reign. And pinball had been like the dominant entertainment machine for, well, a good long while there. What with Tommy and all that. One of the hosts from the Nerdy Show Network was actually, you could say, there when it happened, when arcades erupted across America. It's only appropriate that we hear it straight from him. Hey, this is Dr. Vern with Sci-Fi, Nerdy FM, and the Nerd Groove. My first video game experience came in the uh, late part of the 1970s in a bowling alley when uh, I went in with my parents. They went to do their thing, and they handed me a dollar, and I took my four quarters over to play pinball, which was my drug of choice back in the day. And here was this little cocktail table that was garnering a lot of attention. Pong. The first time I ever played a video game was Pong. That started me on a path that uh, has spiraled completely out of control until this very day. I remember Space War, largely considered to be the first video game created. It was created on a a Unix system way back, and it's just a two-player game. Atari put a coin-op out for it shortly after Pong. It was a large footprint, like uh, the X-Men arcade game had the extra wide cabinet, kind of a cabinet like that, and it was only a two-player game. You had to have two people to play. And then Space Invaders came out, and that just blew everything up. So I definitely started gaming right at the beginning, right out of the gate. I actually refer to my generation sometimes as the arcade generation. Wikipedia likes to lump my age group in with either baby boomers or generation Xers, and I don't feel like we're either one. We're kind of a lost tweener generation in there, and the only thing that we all really share in common is we saw arcades, real arcades. Most of the time, you'll see the baby boomer generation is credited for being post-World War II up to like 1962, somewhere around there. I was born in 66, and the Generation X, they're a little younger than me. You know, they're, they're like in their 30s at the oldest right now. And so there's kind of a decade or 15-year span in there. People like me saw Star Wars at the theater 83 times. You know, we rode our bicycle to the local arcade and played foosball, pinball, and every new machine that rolled out. I mean, it's great that there's Nerdy Show and and things like this now that would tell people about things. Back then, we didn't know what we had. I can distinctly remember going to a shop-and-go, and they had this machine in there called Jungle King. Jungle King, I have since found out, was never released in the United States as an arcade machine. That was a Japanese import machine in my little hometown of Bartow. But I never knew it because that game became Jungle Hunt. They got sued by the estate of Edgar Rice Burroughs because the character looked too much like Tarzan, and he did like a Tarzan yell at the beginning of it. So they quickly pulled that and changed it to the character that has a little safari hat and released it as Jungle Hunt. The Bartow Shop and Go, where I used to play games, had that Jungle King game forever and ever, and only on MAME, literally. That's how long it took me to find this out. When MAME came out and had their first batch of old-school arcade games, I saw that that game had only been released in Japan. Pretty cool stuff. <laughs> hey, this is David X. Cohen, executive producer of Futurama, and I'm going to talk a little about my first video game experiences. I spent a fair amount of time in arcades. My big era of video games was to put the quarter-in-the-slot era. However, I can actually go back before that. My earliest video game memories... First of all, there was a department store called Two Guys near my house, and they had a little pinball section when I was a kid. And they got this game. I don't remember the name of it anymore, but uh, it was a two-player game. It was a vector graphics game. There were a lot of dots flying back and forth across the screen, like single pixels that were uh, 
meteors, and each player had a rocket at the bottom and a joystick that just moved up and down, and you had to move your rocket in fits and starts up and down and try to get to the top. And each time you got to the top, that was one point. It was a competition between two players. That's the first video game I remember paying to play when I was a kid. This is like predating Space Invaders and stuff, slightly. And then uh, who did I play with there? Well, my dad, who was a big sucker for these kind of things, too. <laughs> and uh, he got really fired up about it. So we got one of the first Pong games in our house on the black and white TV that you could play, like, handball by yourself or uh tennis or hockey, they called it, where you had two paddles instead of one. I think there was one more. So after that, Pong, as far as my first home game. So I'm starting at the beginning <laughs> with that one. In my like biggest video game arcade years, the games I liked the most were there was Kicks or Quicks, however you like to pronounce it, Q-I-X, which was this real abstract game where you had to fill in areas of the board while various abstract shapes chased you. At one time, I, I suspected that I might be one of the best players in the world just because I had one tremendously high score that was the highest score in the arcade that I played in for like a whole summer and it was very exciting to me. And there was Battlezone I played a lot, kind of a dumb game called Gorf, which was like a ripoff of several other games and there was like a Space Invaders wave and a Galaxians wave. I played that a lot. Those are probably the ones I sunk the most quarters into. Man, they have one of those Jungle King cabinets at MAGFest. That was the first time I saw that one. It's really interesting. So they have the one that was recalled, basically, and changed to Jungle Hunt. And yet, yeah, they have one. Yeah, they do. That's pretty cool. It starts out, he has black hair. And then in the second level, he's suddenly a blonde. And then in the third level, he's a redhead because of the, the palette. Oh, that's super weird. <laughs> <laughs> Thus began the generation of arcades. I mean, starting off pretty primitive, 1978 with Space Invaders. And then Pac-Man was in 1980. And then from there, the arcade boom and what the arcade machine was capable of just erupted. It had this massive growth pattern and the industry grew as well. Pac-Man fever, it, it was an epidemic. A lot of people were hospitalized because of it. Some never recovered. Pac-Man comes out in 1980. Pac-Man fever erupts like end of 1980, all through 1981. And then Miss Pac-Man comes out in 82. Arcade cabinets were becoming a very, very commonplace thing. Was that not like the laziest video game ever? I mean, for Miss Pac-Man, what do they all they do is just put a pink bow on her? It plays it's so much better. better really? Is yeah. It has better controls? It's just a better game. Yeah. Right. It's perfect. That's why you see Miss Pac-Man cabinets everywhere, and, and Pac-Man is more of a novelty if you see original Pac-Man. It's kind of cool. If you, uh, you find one of those Miss Pac-Man Galaga cabinets, there's a little code you can enter that, to unlock original Pac-Man. Really? I will have to look that up. I did not know that. <laughs> The addictive qualities of simple gaming, I mean, no one had really experienced it before. That's kind of why the, the mania started. The simple pleasures of playing a video game, of shooting a, a dot at something and watching the other shape explode. No one knew what to do with this incredible feeling. <laughs> and there were many people who got addicted to it. I know how that is, because one of my favorite games ever is an arcade game from 1980, and I still play it all the time. It's Berserk. It's one of the very first games that actually had speech in it. It's very, 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 very silly sounding robots. They just, they just say a few words. What do the robots say? They're pretty much just saying, get the humanoid. Get the humanoid. Destroy the humanoid. And fight like a robot. Just variations of that. <laughs> Shoot it, get it. Interesting. <laughs> we have some confessions from a, a couple people who got hooked on these early games. It's late 70s Arcade Gamer Anonymous. They accept that they're going to tell you who they are. 
Hi, I'm Chris Carter, creator of The X-Files, and I'm uh, going to tell you about my first video game experience. I was in my early 20s, and uh, Space Invaders was the game at my local 7-Eleven, and uh, I, I became like something out of Clerks. Uh, it's like <laughs> I became that sort of goof with my uh, Slurpee. Playing until they, they kicked me out, I, I just I could not get enough, and I'm sure I got carpal tunnel, and uh, I was working at Surfing Magazine at the time, but uh, I think that contributed to a lot of, I'll call it, uh, bleary-eyed mornings of rolling into the uh, the office. This is Jay Levy. I'm known best as manager for Weird Al Yankovic and some of the work that we collaborated on together. And my first and probably only real experience with video games was um, with Space Invaders, where I remember walking into the 7-Eleven one day and I guess I'd heard a little bit about it, and then uh, I, you know, walked in and saw it there and figured I'd give it a try. It wasn't before very long that I was looking for excuses to go to the 7-Eleven so I could play Space Invaders until my fingers were sore. Hi, this is Weird Al Yankovic, and uh, one of my earliest video game experiences was the original Pac-Man. I remember when that came out in 1981, 82. There was a Pac-Man machine in the local grocery store, and it was extremely popular, and everybody had their quarters lined up on the side waiting to play a game. And I would always die very quickly. I would lose my three lives, and I was you know, not a laughing stock, but people didn't quite respect my mad skills with Pac-Man. It wasn't until a year or two later that I learned that there are patterns you could memorize and have great scores on the game. And by the time I got around to doing that, nobody cared. Very sad.
what you just heard was uh, Nuclear Bubble Wrap's cover of Pac-Man, which is one of Weird Al's unreleased parodies. This is from the uh, Weird Al tribute record, 26 and a half. All those guys, they all had a similar experience of these arcade cabinets being at a public place, like a 7-Eleven. I say, I didn't realize how old 7-Eleven was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was it, man. Those convenience stores were destinations. For example, the first arcade cabinet I remember seeing outside of those preschool trips was uh, the original Ninja Turtles arcade cabinet which was at the kind of ghetto grocery store that my family would frequent, and they kept it for a number of years. And I think that was probably true of a lot of uh, different public places like that. I mean, imagine if you were a teenager at that time and you knew what random-ass convenience stores had different games, like, say, Jungle Hunt, for example. <laughs> I really wish that the grocery stores I went to as a kid had arcade cabinets in them because I always asked my mom for a quarter for the shitty little quarter toys and i would have had a lot more fun with the games seriously oh man i love those little quarter machines you get homies out of them (laughs) (laughs) or sticky hands which become useless almost immediately (laughs) so something that david x cohen mentioned was that home console that played pong and a variation of pong hockey and that was part of the first generation of home consoles by uh, 1977 things were happening really fast because we'd already seen a whole generation of home consoles exist thrive and then the industry completely bottomed out in the first video game crash in 1977. These consoles, they were extremely limited. I mean, you could just play essentially variations of Pong and some light gun <laughs> games that didn't have graphics so much as you put like an adhesive thing on your TV screen. Are you serious? That was a thing? Yeah. You'd like put like, some like sticky paper to the TV screen and you'd play a shooting game or like even an educational game. I didn't game, even realize those existed back then. There was a lot of weird tech out there that we'd, we'd be surprised by during that time period. But yeah, I mean, it all lived in a brief age of excess and then all completely crashed. Tandem to the rise of Space Invaders and Pac-Man was the second generation of consoles and the beginning of home gaming as we know it with Atari and Intellivision as well as the Commodore 64 home computer. That was uh, no simple thing to pick up a 2600. That cost $200 at the time, which is equivalent to $778 in 2014 money. Still cheaper than Yikes. a VCR. <laughs> so, or a LaserDisc player at the time. Yeah. A LaserDisc player back then was like buying a car. Let's be real. But the Fidelity, Brandon. Oh, yeah. Unprecedented. It's on still to this day. <laughs> so this is where we start to hear a lot of people having these first formative experiences because... These games were well beyond rudimentary games. The technology was now present where you could have these hot swappable cartridges. You could have different gaming experiences. You could have more than Pong in the home. Hell, you could have Pac-Man in the home. What? (laughs) Right, it's crazy. (laughs) for five years, no one left their house. Nothing got done in this country. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it dried up faster than that. But uh, before we get to the second video game crash, let's hear from some people. First up, we're going to hear from Dave Willis and Casper Kelly the writers for Aqua Teen Hunger Force and Squidbillies. They're also the co-creators of the Adult Swim show Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, which just wrapped shooting its second season. First, we're going to hear from Dave Willis, who is the voice of Carl and Meatwad and Aqua Teens. Then we're going to hear from Casper Kelly, who's the writer and director of the internet sensation Too Many Cooks. Oh, man. Too Many Cooks. Too Many Cooks. I've watched that five times in the past two days. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Brandon, I mean, it does take a lot to make a stew. It does. (laughs) Too Many Cooks can uh, ruin the broth. Spoil the broth. Spoil the broth. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not a Too Many Cooks aficionado. I think you like, need to yeah. watch it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still have my Atari 2600, my original, in my office. But I don't have the technology to hook it up to a TV. I would love to hook it up to a TV, but I, I don't think that technology exists anymore. 
I don't even think TVs come with those attachments. <laughs> the little, the two little prongs that you just hook up to the screws in the back. Yeah, and uh, you won't remember this. I do, but <laughs> you, were, you were 12 years before you were a fetus. But uh, Atari licensed the technology to Sears. So mm-hmm. Sears used to put out a console that looked just like the Atari, but they called it like Sears Video Game Console. <laughs> and they would sell the same video games. So like Atari had Pong and. You know, I remember getting the Sears version of Pong for Christmas, and it was called, like, Space Sports or Space Racket. (laughs) I was like, what is this? It's just like the other one. It's like six bucks cheaper. That was my first, having an Atari 2600 and having friends that weren't good friends with coming over to play with me, ostensibly really to play with the video game console. So then I would just tell them it was broken. (laughs) So they would leave. That's my memory. I had an Atari. I also had a Commodore 64. And there's this game that nobody talks about, but I loved so much called Mule. And the guy that created it ended up getting a sex change uh, unrelated to anything else. It was a crazy <laughs> game where you, it was, you get a sex change. It was, you get a sex change. <laughs> a sex change. And then you're a drug mule. Uh, <laughs> it, it was an economics game. It, it was like you're grabbing land on a foreign planet and you're competing with resources and shit, and I'm not selling it at all. It sounds boring as hell. But just research it, Mule. It was kind of an innovative game for its time. That sounds nuts. Okay. I'm uh, Curtis Weeb. I am a comics writer. I currently write Rat Queens and Peter Panzerfaust for Image Comics. And uh, my first video game memories, believe it or not, are all the way back to the Commodore 64. And there's a collection of games that um, I can recall. Uh, one of them was Up and Down which was this car game where you jump over cars going up or down a mountain. It was, for whatever reason, I loved it as a kid. Games like River Raid, Raid Over Moscow, those were all pretty formative games. And then eventually I moved up to Nintendo, and of course uh, Mario Brothers was the one that really blew my mind. But I started way back, I mean, I think it was probably five years old, when I sat down to a Commodore and experienced video games for the first time. And if I could find those games, track them down, I probably would still play them because the Commodore 64 is awesome. My name's Michael Menheim. I am the creator of Mutant League Football and Mutant League Hockey and Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse graphic novel series. My first video game that I ever remember playing was a game called Pong. So that story is kind of boring. But what wasn't was when we played in television football. And it was like the first bet I ever made, and it was for a dollar. And I beat the guy I was playing, and I was like the happiest camper ever. And from that day on, I've been hooked on video games and betting ever since. Hey, this is Joe Harris, writer of X-Files Season 10. And one of my earliest video game memories is getting an Atari 2600 for Christmas, whatever godforsaken year that was in the 80s. And um, getting a slew of games, I remember it came with combat. That was the game it came with. And I, I must have gotten about 10. My, my father went really overboard that year. And I probably got about 10 games with the system uh, under the tree that Christmas. And the game that I, I loved the most that I that I played the living shit out of at the time was a game called Adventure, which was one of the earlier graphical fantasy type games. This is way pre Zelda. So it's like your, your character is basically a block, a cursor. And you'd pick up an arrow, which represented a sword, and you would go out and fight dragons, or if it was 8-bit, that's a stretch, whatever that depiction of a dragon was. And I used to subscribe to this magazine called Atari Age, which was this, this big fan magazine that would publish all these cheats and tricks and stuff for different games. 
And someone had discovered that there was a secret embedded in adventure, which was my favorite Atari game. And I had to track down everything I could learn about the secret. And eventually people started writing in and, and the magazine was publishing how to uncover the name of the creator of the game. And you had to go through this elaborate process of bringing objects to one part of the map and, you know, bring other objects to another. And you had to do everything in a certain sequence and you could pass through this wall. And I was able to do it. And, and lo and behold, there was the, the creator's name. And uh, that just blew my mind. It like lifted the veil off of video game creation and the sort of, you know, that there are actually people behind here doing these things. And, you know, from there, you know, all the Activision games used to have bios of the designers on the back, like David Crane. And, and this stuff just really blew my mind and kind of took things one step beyond just being a fanboy for this stuff. And that's my earliest memory. Hi, everyone. This is Jeremy Soule. And my first video game experience involved the Atari 2600. I bought an, an old 2600 at a yard sale and had no idea if it was going to electrocute me when I plugged it in or if it was actually going to make some fun. And I hooked it up to an old black and white TV and put in the cartridge and I started playing combat. I'm Robert Venditti, and my earliest video game memory, I would say, would probably be my Atari 5200. I grew up in a house where I had three other brothers living in the house with me, and uh, we all had our own games we were good at. For my brother Mark, it was uh, Joust. For my brother Lee, it was Defender. And like he, I would go to bed. He was a lot older than me. I'd go to bed at like 9 o'clock, and he'd be playing Defender. I'd wake up in the morning to go to school, and he'd be playing that same game at Defender. <laughs> uh, my brother Nick, his was Centipede. No, my brother with Nick was Joust. Mark was Centipede. Lee was Defender, and I was Dig Dug. And so uh, Dig <laughs> nice. Dug was my game. I used to love playing Dig Dug. And in the arcade, it was Galaga. I actually rolled a Galaga machine once, which is one of my uh, crowning achievements in this world. Hi, I'm Mark with the C of the Nerdy Show Network, and my earliest video game experiences... I actually can't pinpoint the first time that I had one. They were just sort of always around the house back in the early Atari days. While uh, in my pre-four-year-old years, I remember things like the Superman video game and not being able to make heads or tails of it, and I remember being around five and having a defective copy of the Atari Raiders of the Lost Ark game where I couldn't use the whip to crack through the wall to get to the necessary screen, so I just sort of played the same five screens over and over. But um, for me, actually, my father worked in and managed an arcade. It was much like the arcades you would see in 80s films, where games as far as the eye can see and then being projected on a wall behind smoke machines and things was early MTV. So for me, 80s pop culture was inextricably linked to gaming. And Tron was a big deal to people, but I associated it with where I spent after school. <laughs> where I um, had to go on the weekends whether I wanted to or not. I could not play with my friends. I would sit in the smoky place with the teenagers. So for me, it was like I loved the movie once they got out of that whole arcade part. Those were uh, my earliest memories of video games. In my case, the games that I got attached to were strategy-type puzzle games because they were the furthest thing from what I was seeing in the arcade games that I could literally play absolutely any time I wanted. Some days I would just spend time in the warehouse with unlimited plays for Namco consoles. Because of this, we didn't really have many video game systems laying around the house. And after the NES, I did not upgrade to a system until the Wii because I was sick of gaming. You didn't get a Super NES? God. No, man. Jeez. He had teenager stuff to do then, dude. 
Ew. He was all grown Ew. by then. Not having a growth spurt. That was my teenage thing I did best. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not familiar with Mark, he's a prominent musician in the nerdy indie rock scene and host of The Real Congregation, one of the shows here on Nerdy Show, as well as one of the brains behind Nerdy FM, our streaming nerd music station. You know, since he virtually lived in an arcade in the 1980s, he's got a really unique perspective on what that era of culture was like. We see it represented a lot in films, as he mentioned. But of course, movies and reality seldom sync up exactly. It's not true. Hackers was legit. <laughs> yeah, it that was. That happened. That was a true story. Because they're going after that guy who made that robot, Johnny Five. <laughs> Here's some more from Mark about what the actual arcade experience was like and how it's different from what it's been built up as in hindsight. The pop culture overkill in arcades is never talked about anymore. Whenever you see someone reference an old arcade, even in film, what you end up hearing is a lot of computer noises and a lot of clicking. But you never would have heard any of that in an actual arcade. What you heard was MTV being piped through. And then MTV would show whatever the big new video was, like at the top of the hour, and sometimes they would have these exclusive deals. We're like, all right, well, we've got this new version of Billie Jean, and we're going to show it at 4 and 6 p.m. Well, cable wasn't really in everybody's house even then. So a lot of times people would just come into the arcade and crowd around the projected MTV to watch the new Michael Jackson video. And that would be cranked, but also on the other side of the arcade would be a jukebox that played 45. So if you were over there and wanted to play Big Doug, you could do so while listening to popular hits of the day and B-sides. Like, you could choose between Def Leppard's photograph or the B-side, the live version of Billy's Got Guns. And those things were all peppering together to completely drown out the video game soundtrack. So I guess when I came into nerdy music, it was very surprising to me when people started to care about video game soundtracks openly. Even with Super Mario, a lot of folks would play Super Mario and have the TV cranked up, but just as many people would turn down the sound and listen to the radio or play MTV in another room. And it was an extension of that arcade experience. The last thing you could hear at an arcade underneath MTV and a jukebox and conversation and teenagers being teenagers was if you really listened, you could hear some clicking and maybe a noise when someone dies. <laughs> being the dad ran an arcade, Mark also witnessed the video game crash of 1983 firsthand. At the time, the industry was making $3.2 billion. Well, how did it crash? Well, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. The market was flooded. It's often cited as a classic example of too much too soon, where, you know, greed and oversaturation crippled the industry. It went from that $3.2 billion in 1983 to $100 million in 1985. Jeez. That sounds just like that thing that happened in the economy not too long ago. <laughs> I wonder hmm. if it's similar. I don't know, because this one didn't involve ET cartridges being buried in the desert. I think it did, actually. <laughs> well, the, well, this one in 83 <laughs> did, but the one in the 2000s, not so much. The E.T. fiasco is one of the most notorious examples. In Japan, they actually call the crash the Atari shock. <laughs> I love that it took so long for this episode to get made that they unearthed the E.T. cartridges. <laughs> right within the time that we've recorded this. <laughs> no, they're still out there somewhere. They are. The truth is out there. They found them. They found them? Yeah. Why, why would they even yeah, look they for did. them? Last year, as part of a documentary, they... Why would they look for them? There's, they were buried <laughs> for a reason. The world isn't ready to have that back. Well, because it had gotten to the point where it was a rumor and no one was really sure if it was true or not. 
I so, don't care. No one wants to play E.T. <laughs> no. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. It's horrible. Turns out there are some other games that are revered and beloved by people that were also effectively horrible or toxic to the environment. And Mark is going to clue us in on which beloved game actually led to the downfall of the arcade industry. I can't wait. I remember one that came in was uh, Dragon's Lair. It was uh, basically a series of actually animated cartoons. And that was the number one I want my money back console. I mean, I didn't know anything about it. I just thought, oh, that's cool. The graphics will be just like cartoons and you choose your own adventure. And it didn't go that way at all. Like, it just wasn't ready. I don't know why it was released in that capacity, but I saw people just get frustrated. And I think it was games like Dragon's Layers. You know, you would hype those things up at the arcades. Like, next week, we've got it coming in. So people would be there, like, lined up, skipping school, ready to go into the arcade. And they'd wait for their turn for this completely unusable thing. And I think that that compounded with E.T. was just, there was so much hype around truly unusable things that ate your money. That the video game crash had to happen. I think it was unusable arcade games that led to the crash because kids didn't all of a sudden decide, I no longer like games. It was games no longer wanted to be functional. Centipede twists and bends. The spiders are his only friends. If you can get them before they get you, they go back to the top and you start on rack two. Oh, centipede, you can't run away. You can't run. The thing that happened was they got too greedy. Yeah. They were like, oh man, what if we made games that you just die every second and they have to keep putting in quarters and they're going to be so hooked on it, they're going to pay. They don't care. They want to get to the end of that game. You know what? Nope. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> I've, I've played Dragon's Lair. Nope. It's like there's this thing comes after you. You don't press up on the joystick fast enough, you die. Put another quarter. They're like, fuck you. Yeah, I mean, no. Dragon's Lair, Dragon's Lair 2, and Space Ace, all gorgeously animated, beautiful games. Don Bluth at the top of his game doing that stuff. Well, they were better when they came out on Super Nintendo because then you could keep dying over and over. Well, but also the Super Nintendo didn't have that fluid Laserdisc video motion. The best way to play Dragon's Lair now is to buy the DVD home version or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Dragon's Lair is available still to this day on... Pretty much any platform you want, and because you're not paying yeah, it's a quarter. One of the most ported games ever. Yeah. See, now's the right time for that game. Right, exactly. <laughs> but where you pay for one time to figure out how to get through the narrative, 
and you don't suffer through a quarter or more. I'd pay $5 for a download of that. That's as, about as much as I would ever pay. It's <laughs> probably more than I probably should. So after the second video game crash, what I hear was that Nintendo saved the day. The reason we have console systems and video games to this day, the reason we have Xbox, the reason we have PlayStation, the reason we have awesome games on PC is because Nintendo brought it back. They Pretty came out with console, and everyone's like, holy shit. I mean, chances are, if you're in your mid-20s to early 30s, as of this episode's recording in 2014, you grew up within this third generation of consoles represented by chiefly the NES, but then also the Sega Master System and Sega Genesis. And, you know, our gaming experiences, maybe, maybe our very lives, have been shaped by Nintendo and Sega. I mean, they have. I have a Triforce tattoo. Done. <laughs> you know... An overwhelming number of people we spoke with share a single first video game experience. Super Mario and Duck Hunt. Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt. Super Mario, Duck Hunt. 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 Someone said Duck Hunt in there. Yeah, it does start to sound like that when you hear it over and over. It starts to sound like Duck Hunt, yes. Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt. But yeah, turns out cutting your teeth on Mario and getting laughed at by the dog is... A massive shared experience for nerd culture. And I guess it also turns out that a lot of lucky kids got the NES Zapper combo pack, which was not cheap. I honestly yeah. couldn't tell you how much it was. Lucky I, kids? I remember having the, the running pad. <laughs> yeah, the that? track and field NES, pad. Track, yeah. It came with track and field, one of the games I hate more than anything. But <laughs> I, to this day, I have no idea how I convinced my parents to get that worthless thing or how much they spent on it. You'd run really fast, and you'd still fail, so then you get on your hands and knees, and you start hitting them with your hands, because you can hit your hands faster on the pads than your feet, and then you just, like, let go and jump, and then <laughs> land again. I've never used one, actually. It was, uh, it was a cardio workout. That's what it was. Yeah, it was the original Wii Fit. Yes, it was, actually. <laughs> I think it was the only game that used it. Well, let's go to our first series of clips from other hosts of Nerdy Show, sharing their first experiences with this generation of consoles. Hey, it's Colin. Editor for Nerdy Show, among other things. My first video game experience is kind of that classic video game experience where my dad came home with an NES and he plugged it into the television and we started playing Mario for the first time. It wasn't anything special or obscure. It was just that I had that experience that most of America had. If they didn't have the arcades or whatever it was, sitting in front of a television playing Duck Hunt by putting the gun right up to the screen because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't coordinated enough to have it be far enough away. Eventually I did, but I had to have the gun right up against the screen at, at first. Just playing Mario for the first time and being exceptionally frustrated because, you know, my dad and I would play with each other. He would be so much better than I was because he understood the physics while I didn't because Mario has that very interesting sliding physics mechanic that infuriated me but made me want to play it oh so much more. But the most interesting video game experience that I had at that time was my uncle. I don't know where he got it, but he got this thing that was essentially an SNES cartridge before the SNES existed. An SNES cartridge that could fit into a Nintendo Entertainment System, and it had 52 games on it. And it was totally a bootleg, and it's not... The thing that most people cite, there's like online that these kind of things existed. We've come to find out now, but this was something else that had completely different games on it. It had Islander and Excite Bike and B Wings and Mappy and, and Mario Brothers, but like it also had the pipe 
Mario Brothers. And then there was Popeye, where you had to collect notes when Olive was singing it and you had to not get punched out by Bluto. That was fun. It was great, but it was really interesting because it had three screens that you could select all these different games from. And that was kind of like my most interesting experience with video games in terms of just being able to have such a selection of video games, thanks to my bootlegging uncle. Okay, there's something I want to call bullshit on, though, real quick. Okay, what's that? Well, like, your dad comes home with an NES. That is that is your first experience maybe playing one. Sure. But, like, what did you have leading up to that? Did you know that there was a character called Mario out there? Did you want an NES, or did it just happen? Were you, like, too young to know that you wanted this thing? Yes. Wow. Yes. I, I think I was, like, three. It came out in 1983. In Japan, but in 19, Japan. 1985 in North America. It came out in 1985 in North America. I believe that I was three years old when I got it. And it wasn't for a birthday. I think dad just brought it home, but it was, an, it was ni- I was three years old. And so that would be 1986 is when I got it. So I was three years old when I first started playing video games. And, but yes, I had no idea of what Mario was. I didn't know what the NES was. I, he, he just handed me this controller and was like, let's play this thing. And it was awesome. It was so great. Well, you told me, man. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Matt. I talk about uh, mostly Star Wars, but uh, a lot of, you know, various pop culture things on the show. My first video game experience that I can remember, there were probably a few Atari 2600 games thrown in there, but my first real breathtaking video game experience, I think, was Excite Bike. I was, uh, my cousins owned an NES in, in Louisville, or Louisville. 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 And uh, I actually had the NES in their basement, and it was just... The custom track maker was just the most, I just, you know, it was yeah. first time I had like something electronic in, in my life that I could really like express some creativity with it. You know, it wasn't just, you know, drawing racetracks on, on paper or whatever. It was like, you're actually making obstacle courses and make the most obscene courses. And they had the, you know, I wish I could, there was those, the ridiculous ones that were that steep ramp. And then, you know, you had the, 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 the long line. Oh the yeah. Top. And yeah. I still like, I mean, constantly think about that game. Unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of, um, road trips to get to, to Louisville and back. And so whenever we had to leave, I mean, it was just killer. But that was that was my first real video game experience was Excite Bike. And it's yeah. strange that like the dirt bike racing and Excite Bike is still more exciting than actual dirt bike racing. Like they yeah. don't have the cool obstacles like they did in Excite I Bike. I know. And the, the boosts. Where are the boosts? Yeah. Nothing, none of that. I want those boosts. And you'd, you'd, you know, you'd hit things and you'd just get pushed off real quick and yes. then you just kind of run back to the bike. And... <laughs> yes, you don't mm. die or... Yeah. That your head falls off or anything like that. Yeah. No, that doesn't. No. Virtual reality, though. Yes. Yeah. VR. <laughs> I, I did play. I did play computer games, though. We had that Sesame Street thing where you had Ernie in the bathtub with his rubber ducky. And the rubber ducky was down in the bottom corner of the screen. And he was up at the top left corner of the screen. And you had various different types of pipes and water things that the ducky could go through. And you had to connect kind of like um, kind of like how flow free is now the iPhone app where you're essentially connecting the dot. You did that, but was in squares and you had different things like the ducky could go through being a straight thing or a water fountain that he plays in and then goes to the next mm-hmm. thing and stuff like that. I have very specific memories. So of, this of was, a, I assume, a, a large size floppy. Oh, yeah. Five, five and a quarter. Yeah. Five and a quarter inch disc. It was green and yellow and blue. I think those were the only colors that were on it or maybe <laughs> maybe like orange or maybe some orange. But like it was very, very basic and it was awesome. I just want to say that Sesame Street game, there's a version of it on NES. And the last time I think it was at Orlando Nerd Fest, I was hanging out with the Bit Brigade guys and we were playing a pornographic ROM hack of that game. 
a pornographic ROM hack Ex- of that game. Explain yes. how that works. Instead of the rubber ducky, he was trying to get his penis. That's pretty much it. So, well, that sounds horrible. <laughs> He's trying to get his penis back. It was a disembodied penis? Yeah, it was kind of floating around on the screen. <laughs> that's not really porn. That's like that's more of like a medical condition. That's like Oh, there was there was a lot more to the game than just that. <laughs> but once the penis got to him, it went inside of him. Yeah, the gameplay's really deep, Brandon. Really deep. <laughs> <laughs> So, Johnny, you already mentioned how educational games were some of your first gaming on the PC, and Colin, of course, had that early PC experience. This third generation of consoles also syncs up with the rise of home computers. I mean, I think the first computer in my house was before I got my first console, which was a Super Nintendo. Only just, but even still, like that narrow window, maybe like 1990, you know? Yeah, I I was about three when I got my computer. I was very lucky, though, because my dad worked for IBM, so we, we had the hookup more so than most families did. But I, we did get the Genesis not long after I had that little computer. So correct me if I'm wrong, but this third generation that we're talking about now yeah. is, I want to say, when they started caring about writing a story. They was, had stories <laughs> before, okay? But this is when they actually tried. It was more like capabilities. I mean, you could really... It's text. I mean, they had text-based games before, but it was never like a really intricate story that moved me. They were doing text-based stories on the PC as early as like 1980. Computer gaming was doing an awful lot of creative stuff with the Commodore 64 and so on, but it wasn't until the NES that there was really the the space and power to allow that text to mean something more. I don't know if there were any actually text-based games in the Atari. I'd imagine someone must have tried at some point. I'm sure there is. Yeah, certainly there must have been something, but obviously it wasn't really prevalent because if it was a video game, people wanted to see graphics such as they were. Yeah, if they wanted to see text, they'd read a book. Exactly. A choose-your-own-adventure novel. I feel like text on the Atari would be so blurry that it would be a huge eye strain. It'd probably be pretty rough, yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about PC games right now. Brandon, you also mentioned some early PC games. Like I said, the first computer I think we had was a Mac 2GS. Then we got a 486, which I'm guessing was the speed of the computer before, you know, the processor back then. And it was like Legend of Kyrandia or something. But there's just some weird games I can't remember. I only started remembering games when games got good. Like, <laughs> like, okay, like, Mac, the Mac LC2 came out, and I remember that. It's, like, 2,000K of memory. Like, I played Prince of Persia because it ran on that computer, but it, I still had that computer when Doom 2 came out, so I was like, I'm going to load Doom 2 on this thing that has, like, less than 3 megabytes of memory, and it had, like, 12 floppy disks that you had to install. It took me about 48 hours to install it. That should have told me something right there. And I load the <laughs> game, and it's, like, Doom 2, and there's, like, a cyber demon on the front. I take one step and the game freezes for five minutes and I can still hear sound repeating over and 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 then five minutes later I moved another step and there was a different sound over and over and over and then like I did that for two hours going I'm gonna beat this game I don't care and then I just I shut it off it was a horrible experience I went back to playing Prince of Persia and like Civilization because Civilization was not very graphics intensive I wasn't very good at strategy though I like Mist. Mist was great this is a big deal. Uh, I, I don't think I had hands-on with like a real PC game for a while. There were some decently powered Mac computers that were at the schools that I attended for like elementary and so on. So there was like the educational game, The Treehouse, eventually Oregon Trail 2. But that was, like, that was a pretty big step what up, was I guess. the Amazon River? It's like Oregon Trail, we got an Amazon River? That was the Amazon Trail. Oh, that one's And that so spirit fun. panther comes, and then you just like die of dysentery in a river. Yeah, you know, I never got past the panther. And uh, there was also a Yukon Trail. Uh, there's a bunch of trails. Oh, that one's weird, too. I played all of them. I <laughs> love them. Trail of Tears is my favorite. <laughs> what was the saltiest? <laughs> I think... Did you play Marathon? No. 
Oh, no, man. I... That's what we did in, a, in our so-called gifted class. It was just a bunch of Macs, and we just played Marathon. There was a game I played in middle school that was, um, I don't know what it was, and I, I can never remember the name of this game. It was basically a theater program, like you choose actors and sets and animations, and you drag them across, and they had these really primitive text-to-speak options, and I just create these extremely surreal this narratives. Game? Yeah, it was. That a... sounds familiar. I might have messed with that. If anybody knows the name of this game, uh, please post in this episode's comments. When I when we finally got a dedicated computer that I could play something on, I think the, the earliest PC game that I really got into was uh, probably Blade Runner in 1997. It's an action adventure or a point and click. It is both. Didn't you buy it? Like, we found it later at a thrift store, but we could not get it to work because it was so old. Yeah, but fortunately, uh, some enterprising hackers on um, GOG have created a patch. Oh, so that's right. So I can now play Blade Runner again. And God, thank I you that. so I much. Games. I love those people. Yeah, they're the best. They're the absolute best. Blade Runner is an incredible game. Incredible game. I remember I, I had to save up a lot of money to actually create my own computer from scratch, even though I didn't know how to try to run real games because my parents were sick of spending money on me. They're like, you need to save up. Like, you want to play Quake Arena? You know, Quake, Quake 2, Quake 3 Arena? You got to save up for your own graphics card. And those were expensive back then. Hundreds of dollars. I got fired from every job when I was a kid, so it was hard to save money. <laughs> I had a problem with authority, but, you know, I'm better now, I think. One of the first PC games that I became really, really addicted to was Creatures. I don't know if either of you are familiar with that one. No, not really. It's an artificial life game. It's pretty much virtual pets, but they what were... What about Seaman? Really... Is it like Seaman? <laughs> A lot more complex than Seaman. It was very complex. Like it got all into like their mental health and their biology and everything. It was so interesting. It was an award-winning game, and like I think it actually helped with advances in AI technology. It was just so fun because people would make custom items for it. So I would spend hours and hours just downloading things that they made in the game and installing them. And some of them would make the game crash. So then I had to figure out which ones were messing the game up and fix it. And it was, it was so fun. I loved it. There are some hosts of Nerdy Show whose earliest gaming experiences were PC games, 90s computing specifically, uh, as well as one of our guests. So we're going to hear from them now, as well as a few words from John, our SciTech correspondent. He's going to be popping in there, but we'll be hearing his first video game experience a little later. Uh, and we'll also be hearing from the crew of Flame On, our all-gay, all-geek podcast, who also had some formative PC experiences. Hi, this is Jessica from Nerdy Show. I actually don't remember my first video game experience, but video games actually did inform my career choice. One of my actual fondest memories of childhood is typing in file paths in DOS to get to my Lemmings games or a Jetsons game that I had or other puzzle solving games. And I just loved doing it. I loved typing out where I needed to navigate to to play my game and eventually became a computer programmer because of it. I'm John Laval. I'm the uh, live producer for Nerdy Show. And I would say one of my first video games experience, at least one of the most memorable, was playing uh, King's Quest Perils of Rosella for DOS uh, with my mom. It was a floppy disk game. I remember it fondly. I remember losing floppy disks and finding floppy disks and having to go through the manual and put in the password. But the number one thing that me and my mother had shared and still to this day have not been able to find is that damn bridle for the damn unicorn Pegasus thing in it. And you cannot complete the game unless you find these things in an order. And uh, it is a terrifying world to live in where you can't find one single item in a game that's probably made of like maybe 20 screens. And it's just you and your mom and you're like eight years old and you're lost in this world where nobody understands you. And there's dwarves everywhere and there's a troll and everyone's trying to eat you to death and kill you. And, and you're lost. You know, you're lost. 
you know, but you have each other to rely on. And that's what I learned. And that was one of my first video games experiences. King's Quest, Perils of Rosella. I'm Claire Evans. I'm a singer and co-creator of the pop band Yacht. And I'm the editor at large of Omni Reboot Magazine. And the first computer game that I can ever remember playing is this game called Chips Challenge, which was a PC game about a little tiny man navigating, I think, the inside of a computer in order to secure a chip at the end of each level. There was like a thousand levels and I played it obsessively. I think it's the first thing that kind of imprinted me on the idea of a goal-oriented game where you would beat a level. I think I beat it. I'm not sure. I was very young. I was eight, I think, when that game was around. And I've tried to find it over the years, and I don't think I've ever been able to find even like a reference of it. In fact, it may even exist only in my memory. It may not even be a real thing, but I think it was. You guys know that game? Nope. <laughs> Extremely early PC game. I think maybe an MS-DOS game, in fact. <laughs> I hear John clicking. I think he's looking for it. It's weird. Like, even early 1990s television, it's hard to find references to on the net. I know. There's so much stuff that's not on the internet that I feel like people don't really, you know, like it's been written out of history because it's not online. And a lot of like those kinds of games are gone. And like I loved MS-DOS games. I loved all of the like Day of the Tentacle games, mm-hmm. which I think you can probably find in your stuff now. But... challenge is what I think it is. I think I actually played it on the Packard Bell. No I shit. think it came pre-installed. That, I remember never buying it or choosing. Yeah, I think it was just on my computer. In fact, I probably actually have it because... <gasps> We still have the Packard Bell in the attic, and I believe it still ran. But at this point, you know, like the resistors might be literally melting. Oh, that's such a beautiful thought. Just the Packard Bell in the attic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was like a square and you just like navigated this square of space. There seems to be a Chips Challenge download available (gasps) on a blog spot. Oh, my God. Will you send me the link to it? Yeah. It is pretty simple. It's chipschallengedownload.blogspot.com. <laughs> oh my God. There goes my afternoon. <laughs> this is Brian from Flame On. I'm here with my crew. I have Jeff, Eric, and Oral. We're talking about our earliest video game memories. I know my earliest memories are the Atari, but more formatively, I should say, Sierra Online. PC gaming? PC gaming was my bread and butter. Even when the NES was coming out, which I did play that, I, I King's Quest, Space Quest, what other quests? Uh, uh, apparently Leisure Suit Larry, which shocked me. <laughs> yep, I did enjoy some Leisure Suit Larry. Anyway, all the old Sierra games, point-and-click adventures, type things in. For those of you who never tried it, you actually typed in commands, and you would laugh when the thing would come back and say, poop isn't a real word, or, you know, I, I don't know, whatever crazy things it came back with. And then later on, and I know my brother here thought this as well, the uh, Lucas Arts kind of evolution the perfected version of the adventure game yes uh maniac mansion day of the tentacle full Mon- throttle monkey island monkey island was that was the first one you ever had the sound blaster sound card that's true and i actually think we bought sound blasters to get that working anyway eric what uh what kind of video game uh, early memories do you have uh, why why bow and arrow okay picture it Sicily, 1939. A beautiful peasant woman decides to play a video game called Pong. Wait, where was, where was Vito Corleone doing this? I, I, I've seen this before. We were in upstate New York at the time, and that's where I first played it. I was upstate New York. My grandparents had a house, and that's where I played my first so video game. So your grandparents had Pong in they their house? They bought it for me. No shit. Yep. Very progressive Anything grandparents. to keep my fucking bony ass entertained. Oh. <laughs> Anything, because then my mother bought... My, my favorite game was Atari... What was the first one? 2600. 2600? Yeah. The first one was the video game called Kaboom. 
<gasps> ah, yes. And all it was, you would drop all the bombs and you just yeah. had to catch them all. That was my favorite. Oh, my God. I favorite, about favorite, that. favorite. Did you ever play that. the E.T. game on the Atari? Oh, it was, t- it was terrible. But yes, I did. Do, 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 I mean, it was, do, and you're flying was, around. It was like all the video games. Like, I saw the picture with Superman on. Oh, I'm going to get it. And it also was boxes. It was boxes. <laughs> it was terrible. Oh. I mean, E.T. was bad enough to cause the video game crash of 1984. Well. Yeah, I think it was a canary in the coal mine. But yeah, they, they actually made more carts for that game than they actually sold units to play it. Oral, what about you? Mine was the Famicom, the Super Famicom, <gasps> like Nintendo, yeah. original, NES, Mario Contra. There was this one like racing game that my friend had that I loved to death where you like in spaceships and each planet was like a different track and you can update your ship. <gasps> and- Star Control. Yes! I love Star Control! That was so... And, oh, God, I love that game. You know, back then, the cartridges were so expensive that you would, you know, you you say, okay, I'll ask my, my mom or my dad for this, this, and this, and then you ask for this, this, and this, and we'll just switch off. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you did. You kind of, like, lent books to people, but instead of books, you had cartridges. So... Legend of Zelda my friend had so I would go over to his house and play mm-hmm. that you each and- had one save file on the game <laughs> yes. but um, you could only do three mm-hmm. you get really mad when yours got deleted because their <gasps> older brother was playing like, you've only played for two hours I'm like but that's two hours over like six weeks that's all I had but so sad. it's funny thinking about going back because all those games that really don't some of them hold your attention like Super Mario 3 will still always be one oh, of my favorites of even to Pokey Pokey Dash <laughs> where you're like yeah. Peach and you're gliding with your dress Super Mario 3D World is kind of similar yes. where they give you all those old powers back mm-hmm. but that game is fucking hard because yep. throwing a fireball in two dimensions is easy throwing a fireball in three dimensions so makes harder. no goddamn sense <laughs> oh yeah hi I'm Jared from Flame On My first video game experience actually came not from a home entertainment system, but from the arcade. Growing up poor, we really didn't have uh, much in the means of disposable income, but whatever we had, my parents would give to me for just uh, putting quarters in the arcade machines. And um, there was a movie theater not too far away from where I grew up, and uh, it had uh, arcade machines for uh, Super Mario Brothers, the arcade game, and Castlevania. Those two were the first video games I ever actually played. You guys ever seen a Castlevania cabinet? Because that was the first I'd ever heard of it. Nope. I don't think I played so. Castlevania, but not in an arcade. I don't know. I mean, I remember the first time I ever saw a Super Mario Brothers arcade cabinet. I, I had no idea that they'd had Mario in the arcade other than the one with the pipes and the crabs and the turtles. It was the first time we ever went to E3. We went out to, um, to the pier in Los Angeles, and there was this game arcade, and there it was. And it was different and more difficult than it already was, like made to suck quarters out of you. Which game was this? Mario Brothers, really? as in like Piranha Plants and Luigi. That Mario Brothers. a more Brothers. difficult version? Yeah, more difficult version. The warp pipes don't work the same. <laughs> they just, they just Twisted don't work. stuff. <laughs> I, I actually, I think I do remember Contra in an arcade. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, when you play with someone else that you don't know, they would get pissed because Contra is that thing where if you're completely dead and you like hit the start button, you steal someone else's life. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so you're like, I'm dead. And the other guy's like, well, I got three lives. I'll get us through the boss. And you're like, boop, I'm back. And then you die immediately again. He's like, what the fuck, dude? You don't even know this guy. You're some guy, you, were, you just like jumped in. He's like, I'm playing. And then you steal all of his lives. And you, you wasted, you literally stole his money from him. <laughs> yeah, like literally, you man. wasted his fucking hard-earned money oh, to steal his lives and die immediately. Just like life. Yeah. Yeah. It, was a, it, it, taught, it taught him a valuable lesson, not me. 
So since most of us were playing games as kids to start out with, a lot of us seem to have a, a shared experience of Disney video games. Not me. Not you? I hate Disney. The only Disney video games I moderately liked were watching Mike play them, like DuckTales. Right, the, or, the Capcom uh, NES classics. Or Rescue Rangers. They were good. As long as it's not Aladdin. Screw you, I hate that game. Well, which Aladdin? There's the one for Super Nintendo, which sucks balls, it was made by Capcom. It was probably that one then. Then there's the one for Genesis, which was made by Disney Interactive and is amazing. I like both of them okay, but I think the Genesis one's a lot better. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just never played a lot of Disney games. There's so many good ones back then. The first game I ever bought, actually, was a Disney game. It was Mickey's Magical Quest for the Super Nintendo. I did play that, never mind. Which is also the first game I ever beat. As an adult gamer, it's kind of an enjoyable experience, and the hard mode is, you know, substantially... It has a point where it gets quite difficult, as platformers go. So, not surprisingly, there's actually quite a few other members of the Nerdy Show Network who were influenced by early Disney games, who have some fond memories of these early Disney games, not just from the Super Nintendo, but also many of the NES classics. We're also going to be hearing from the cast of Derpy Show and Brian and Scott from the comic Atomic Robo and their show here on the network, Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts. This is Tony, resident art monkey and co-host of Trench and Tony, the video game live stream that Nerdy Show does, and my first video game experience goes way back. I mean, from the time I can remember walking, I've been playing these digitized video games, things. vivid memories of staying up to like three in the morning with a friend of mine before I even knew that that hour existed, playing baseball on Atari, Pitfall. My first real experience, like proper experience, though, was when my dad came home with an NES from a yard sale. This was towards the end of the NES's life. So not only did he get the NES, but he got like three controllers and every important game on the system for the most part. I had Mario, Duck Hunt, so I learned to hate the dog. We had the whole game. I even got to play DuckTales, but also the lesser known but everybody's good Little Mermaid game that Capcom made because for whatever reason, Disney properties and Capcom got along like a house on fire. It's been a major part of my life ever since then. Video games to me are the next stage, both in art and in storytelling, and they're absolutely fantastic. I love video games. Hey, I'm Kristen, and I'm an arts and culture correspondent. I want to talk about one of my favorite games ever, and it was actually one of my first video game experiences that I can remember. When I was really young, my mom decided that she wanted to buy me and my father a Nintendo, and I was super excited because it was this big thing for us. And she got the one that came with Super Mario Brothers, which was an awesome game, but then she also decided she'd get The Adventures of Magic Kingdom. It was amazing. I loved the levels. I loved playing it. It was just super fun to me. I was, you know, young enough to be a little bit creeped out by the Haunted Mansion world. And I really loved going on Space Mountain and Thunder Mountain and just, just playing that game. I played it over and over and over again. My mom would kick me off the TV. She'd be like, enough of this, because I just, I loved it so much and it really got me excited for video games. It really brings back a nice, fuzzy feeling. I just love it. Hi, I'm Hex. My first video game life memory is my grandmother had a Nintendo entertainment system at her house for all the grandkids to play. And so whenever we came over, we got to play it. She had an assortment of games. She had Zelda. She had Zelda 2. She had golf, mainly for my grandpa to play. She had billiards. She had Mickey Mouse capades. But the game that I remember playing the most and the game that I remember playing first is Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers is my first video game experience. I remember playing that with the other cousins and whatnot, and none of us getting too far ever, but that didn't stop us from playing it nonstop. I have a lot of fond memories of that Nintendo entertainment system. 
Hey, this is Chan from Derpy Show. My earliest video game experience, I, I don't remember never not having video games. My older brother had the Atari and the Nintendo. And the earliest I can remember is we used to have this big red chair where your legs could pop out or recline. But instead of reclining, I would actually flip it on its back. So I would have like a, a cover to hide behind it while I used the Nintendo Zap. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. ...to play Bayou Billy, which was a game that I never got past the second level as a youngster because it's just one of the hardest games, and Nintendo was completely unforgiving about that. And I just remember wasting hours and hours as a young kid playing that game. Robo Joe here. Uh, my first video game experience was probably with my grandmother taking me to the local arcade at the mall and playing the Simpsons arcade game, where you could choose between Lisa, Bart, Homer, or Marge. And I usually went with Marge because I thought the idea of hitting people with a vacuum was really, really funny. Miss Sarah Guest from The Derpy Show. My first memory of a video game was my brother pulling me out of elementary school to sit in his living room while he was stoned and watch him play Crash Bandicoot. My mother never knew. That's how I spent my afternoons. Uh, my brother's a dick. <laughs> I'm Boar from Derpy Show. One of my earliest memories was actually uh, when I was around two or three, my parents owned an arcade. So I actually had a really strange experience growing up. I basically had unlimited quarters at an arcade, and one of the ones that stood out for me was uh, the original Mario Brothers, the ones where you had to go underneath and like bash the turtles up and then go above them and you know kick them over. I think that was one of the ones that really stood out as one of my favorites. Another really interesting memory from that time period is uh, my parents liked to convince me that I was some sort of a pinball wizard, so I actually thought that I was amazing at pinball for a really long period in my life. But they were just lying to me and giving me unlimited balls on the machine because <laughs> I was not apparently that good at pinball when I was two. <laughs> that story's awesome. Wait, but your parents owned an arcade? And all of us were like, yeah. the fuck? How do we not know How this? How do we not know that? Did you know that? Hi, this is Danica from Nerdy Show. And the first video game experience I can remember, I believe it was about 1988. I was probably between the ages of six and seven. We had moved into the formal dining room of my grandfather's house where there happened to be a tiny TV and an Atari, I think. There was a weird battleship game and I believe Cubert. This is Trench, community manager over at the Nerdy Show Network. I had to have been about two or three, I think. 
and it was an arcade machine. I don't know if it was a pizzeria where it was. It doesn't really matter. But I didn't know that you needed quarters to work the machine. So I was just happy playing along with the demo that would just flash across the screen. And my mom thought it was really cool because she didn't have to give me any quarters. But uh, that lasted about as long as it took for somebody to feel sorry for me and start giving me quarters. I'm Kay. And my first video game experience would be like when I was five years old, I had an NES and we only had three games for it. So I had like Pinball Quest, Ninja Turtles, which was damn near impossible, and Super Mario Brothers slash Duck Hunt, which you had to put in there just right and like have the edge touch the cartridge. And I remember hitting the screen with the zapper, trying to shoot the dog instead of the clay pigeons. Hey, I'm Aaron from a comic shop, and my first video game experience was just a regular-ass Nintendo with Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers, and I'd get right up to the screen and just shoot the ducks. I thought it was cool. And the most formulative thing probably is why I don't play video games almost at all anymore, and probably why I quit college and stuck at life, because the game that I loved the most was Contra. And I could do the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, B, A, start. And I would have like unlimited lights and unlimited firepower. And it was just so much fun. And I just wanted all video games to just be that fun. And they never were. And they always sucked. And they started giving me low self-esteem. And I just dropped out of life. And um, yeah, fuck video games. But Contra was cool. My name is Scott Wagner, co-creator of Atomic Robo, the amazing comic book. And my first video game experiences are a little muddled because growing up, I had a friend whose dad was a arcade game repairman. So their garage always had several games in various states of repair in it. And we could play them for free for hours on end because the gate was open and you had to stick quarters and you just push the start button. So I can't for the life of me remember what the first one we ever played was because there were so many of them. It was just like a blur. But I recall one of my favorites being Joust. Hey, I'm Brian Clevenger, co-creator and writer of Atomic Robo, and you occasionally hear me on The Nerdy Show. My first video game memory would be, I know that I played a ton of Air Raid on my uncle's like 2600. He had a big screen TV too. You did not need that kind of size to play Air Raid. I have a memory that my parents have told me that they were impressed by my ability on Tron, which did not last into my adulthood. The old arcade Tron machine, that thing has devastated me in, in more recent years. Uh, Joust was a big one. Uh, big Doug. All these machines were at like the local skating rink, which is something that you would remember if you weren't a child. And that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I can remember, remember Golden Axe. Yeah. That, that was the first game I ever fed quarters and played through from the beginning to the end. Must have spent like 50 bucks on that game. <laughs> Golden Axe and then Contra, but only because I had the cheat code. They're going at the cheat well, yeah. You know, and that, that stuff was amazing because how did you learn the cheat codes back then? There was no internet. I know. Who figured the first one out? They had to, they must have leaked it. Yeah, but then like, you know what they need to do? Mouth? They need to do, you, you know that, that Matt Damon movie where he's like the informant? No. Cigarette companies and these. Oh, okay. Anyway, he's a whistleblower. Right, whistleblower. You need the movie about the guy who whistle blew the Contra code. <laughs> do it all dramatic, like it's this big, serious, real thing that anyone gives a shit about. Up, down, up, down, left, right, BA, BA, start. Oh, I got infinite lives. <laughs> Imagine the damage I could do to our sales.
was a youngin', maybe seven or eight, when I was up late playing games for hours straight. Maybe sit her on the couch trying to get a freak on. I'm passing level after level, thinking I'ma be pawn. But little did I know they didn't have any endings. Every couple of levels, I would go back to the beginning. Hard lesson to learn, but I recovered fine. Couldn't be pitfall and got tired of trying. But when the NES came around, I had to get down. If you ain't have it on the block, then you was bound to get clown. My game was Super Mario, I played it to death. First to get a hundred men kicking turtles on the step. Learned that from Game Pro, but it's a shame though. Nowadays, video games ain't the same, bro. Too complicated in the game worth the price. You know something, they a lot like life. And that's why I just can't seem to grow up. I said, I just can't seem to grow up. But you know what? What? I don't think I want to. And what you just heard was Grow Up by Random, a.k.a. Mega Ran, a classic from his debut album as Mega Ran. And in it, he goes into a bit of a story that he's going to further elaborate on later in the episode. I have a question. <laughs> What's Does that? Does anyone remember an old arcade machine where you ran around the woods finding a pot of gold and a leprechaun was chasing after you trying to kill you? And he would just pop out of trees randomly. No, I used to go to a barber when I was a little kid, and I used to just play that, and I've never seen it again, so I think... It does sound like a fever dream. That up. I, I think I, it was some sort of weird dimensional thing. It, like, it was a test, and I failed, and I never saw... I was like going to be taken to the realm of leprechauns yeah, you, if I like, You could have been the last starfighter, but with leprechauns. But with leprechauns, because I mean, that explains my size. I was born to do it, but apparently I failed, and they were like, screw this kid. We'll go to the next barber shop. <laughs> I remember that game. It was scary. This kid needs a little <laughs> off the top. Yeah. It's just like the leprechaun would only appear from one tree to another tree to another tree to another tree. Scary. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a game, and Brandon. Just, and there's like a pot of gold and like you're running, you gotta run and get it. And this is all in 2D, I'm, I'm sure. I think. Was it me? Was I doing this in real life? Did I find a pot of gold? <laughs> and some dude, I actually, here's what happened. I found a homeless dude's sandwich and he popped out of a tree and was chasing me and I've repressed it into an arcade machine game. <laughs> it was a very scary time. Okay. Well, in that case, let's hear from some Ghostbusters. This is uh, the cast of Ghostbusters Resurrection, our Ghostbusters tabletop role-playing podcast. Doug, what was your first video game experience? Uh, I guess my earliest memory is playing uh, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, I remember playing Super Mario Brothers. I was visiting my cousins in New Jersey, and they just had it. I just remember playing it, and then they had Duck Hunt like at the same time. There's no story there, but I remember coming back and wanting that, but we didn't have it. So my grandparents pulled out the Atari 2600 that my dad bought when he was like my current age now. So <laughs> so I guess my real experience, first video game experience, was playing Atari 2600, playing Space Invaders, Centipede, Pitfall, and yes, E.T., the E.T. adventure. <laughs> notorious. And, yeah, notoriously poor, so. Poor bastard. Uh, as well as the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Hide and Seek was a classic. It was weird that I, I didn't know anyone else who had an Atari 2600, so I couldn't talk about the games with anybody. And I remember begging my dad for a Genesis because I had another friend who played the first Sonic, and I was like, that's awesome, and I didn't get it. And then finally one year, I finally did get the Sega Genesis, and the first games I got were Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Jurassic Park. In between wanting the Genesis and getting the Genesis, we did get a home PC computer, and for some reason, I don't know why, because we didn't watch the show, or at least my family didn't watch it, but I did, 
the Simpsons arcade game for PC. Whoa. Yeah. That would like so that was like the first game that I owned that like in my house. That's huge. And that was Ooh. the beginning. That was it. Nina, how about you? There are two experiences. One was uh, playing Pac-Man, essentially, when I was about maybe five or six years old in a kid's arcade on an uh, ocean liner crossing over from Italy to Greece because we used to go to Greece every summer, my family, and um, maybe play that for about five minutes until I got pushed aside by another kid trying to play Pac-Man. Oh. But around the same time, my parents got me one of the old white grayish Game Boys, and I played Tetris on that forever and ever and ever. So I am not quite sure which one of those happened first, but they kind of happened around the same time. As far as like real big console video games, I had a lot of friends who played uh, Super Mario Brothers and uh, always loved it, but they never let me play. They were not really friends. They were just like kids I was forced to hang out with and they were just terribly mean about not letting me play Super Mario Brothers on their beautiful um, colored TV. It's two-player. They could have rotated you in. Josh, how about you? I had the NES system at home and uh, I had the Mario Brothers Duck Hunt combo cartridge. I played that a lot. My dad mounted the TV up really high so I couldn't break it when the dog would laugh at me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A valid concern. Yeah. The other thing that sticks out in my memory is my cousin's my uncle had bought a an old uh, Pac-Man arcade system that they kept in their garage, and they played it. Wow. Yeah, and I used to visit, and I'd, I'd play it in the garage. I don't know which one of those came first, but I do know that my uh, younger cousin got electrocuted by the arcade system because he was standing in a puddle and holding both uh, <laughs> both plugs, and um, and he had to be like beaten off of the uh, off the cords so that so that he would survive. Well, what powers did he get? Uh, he got the power of laughter. He's very... <laughs> <laughs> the power of incredible height. The power of... Uh, power of embarrassing stories. Yeah, the, the power of getting really drunk on Halloween. <laughs> and Adam, what was your first experience? I played, you know, the Commodore 64. I played the Atari and whatnot growing up as a kid. I remember playing E.T. I suffered with you, Doug, there. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty bad in Pitfall and whatnot, all those great games, but... I guess my earliest best memory of any video game was me and my dad getting the gold cartridge of Legend of Zelda. And back before walkthroughs existed, that game was incredibly confusing. It didn't give you any direction on where to go. And him and I just pulling our hair out going, where do we have to go? Like little like five, six year old (laughs) me and my dad, who is like 35 at the time, we're just freaking out, eventually figuring it out and whatnot. And we actually wrote our own little walkthrough for it. That we actually handed out to friends. Well, and by, and by we, I mean he did while I was playing around with the game and he, he was telling me what to do because I was a dumb kid. The other big one was Ninja Gaiden, which that oh, made Jesus. me want to murder a baby. <laughs> and still does this day. This is Pool from Ghostbusters Resurrection. And my first video game experience was actually, much to my father's dismay, deleting his save file from the original Legend of Zelda game when I was very young and just totally ruining his day. To make up for it, he decided to buy me a game that was specifically for me. And uh, I don't know why he decided to buy this game, but he bought a platformer for the original Nintendo system called Yonoid, which starred the mascot for Domino's, which was the Noid. And it was a platformer game where you ran around throwing yo-yos and baseballs and jumped on a pogo stick and just basically had an overworld map that you worked your way through platforming stages and actually was pretty difficult. I've gone back to try and play it recently and it kicked my butt all over. 
But uh, at the time, I really liked it, and it segued into me being super into action platformers, looking into you know Mega Man and Castlevania afterwards, obviously moving on to some higher quality gaming from there. But uh, I guess it uh, all started from me being a little punk and deleting my dad's hard work. Hey, this is Mike from Ghostbusters Resurrection. My earliest, probably favorite video game memory is the first time I ever played Chrono Trigger. Made my way through the game weeks and weeks of playing until I finally got to uh, the Kingdom of Zeal. You know, you work your way through the entire game. You're going to medieval times, to the future. You've seen prehistoric times. You've just beaten this giant Tyrannosaurus Rex, and you walk through a portal, end up in God knows when. You have no idea when or where you are, and you kind of stumble around the snow for a while until you come to this hut and step on this teleportation pad and... The first time I did it and I heard those first introductory notes of Corridors of Time, that was my favorite place. I left a save file there specifically so I could leave the game on while I was doing homework to listen to that song. It kind of set my love of games with time travel and games with floating cities. And I compare other games that I play now to that experience and nothing's really come close. Bioshock Infinite, maybe, but nothing's really kind of met that experience for me. Is our most memorable video game experiences still, like, Super Nintendo, or is that just me? Like, you always remember these games, they just stood out the most, emotionally. For me, it was Super Nintendo. I mean, of course, it's Genesis for me, because I was a Sega kid. Super Nintendo is still, like, for me, whenever I think of video games, my brain always jumps to, like, Secret of Mana, Chrono Trigger, you know, Final Fantasy VI. I will always remember that as, like, my favorite experience. Yeah, well, I think it has to do in large part with our age, but then also the fact that, I mean... Well, that's, I guess, when I started playing it all on my own. You know, my brothers went around, no one was around. I was just like, I would be in my room playing Final Fantasy VI and figuring everything out for, like, hours and hours, just reading story and playing it. Games did have the power to be more than. And that's why I never read books. That's what... (laughs) Video games did that to me, because I didn't want to go back to text without visuals at that point. As I mentioned earlier, the Super Nintendo was my first video game console that I owned. It was after much begging and my parents' insistence that if I owned a video game console that I would have no reason to go outside, which, fair enough, because I definitely did it less afterwards, but it's interesting because, they, <laughs> for whatever reason, they must have truly believed in the power of video games, otherwise why would they have been so afraid of that eventuality? <laughs> Obviously, the Super Nintendo and the generation of games that came from the Super Nintendo are absolutely phenomenal. God, I'll give us Super Metroid and Yoshi's Island. Beyond compare? I know. And oh man, Super Castlevania now? Damn. Many of the earlier games can be boiled down to their core gameplay experiences, but with that generation, there was the ability for so much more graphically, musically, and, uh, and storytelling, of course. I, I still Paramount. think Super Nintendo had the most and best games on one system, still to this day. I'm inclined to agree with you because I feel like it has so many legendary games, so many truly unfuckwithable experiences that outdo their predecessors if they had any, and then in many cases outdo everything that came after them as well. I've been writing down a list during this just of like, if I was going to have a child, which I wouldn't, but if I kidnapped someone's child and I said, you need to play these video games, I'm making a list of like Super Nintendo games that you would have to play. Rattle them off as quick as possible. All right. You got Secret of Mana, duh. Secret uh-huh. of Evermore, uh-huh. Chrono Trigger, uh-huh. Final Fantasy VI, Super Metroid, Super Mario World, Yoshi's Island, Super Castlevania, Breath of Fire 2, Actraiser, and if you're lucky enough to speak German or live somewhere else, Terranigma. Yeah, Australians, for example, Aust- had it easy with yeah. Terranigma. Terranigma is still, like, I think, one of the best games that you can't find. 
It's yeah. probably one of the most emulated Super Nintendo games these days. Yep. <laughs> if they ever release it in America, it'll have a resurgence akin to Earthbound, I'm sure. How scary was Super Metroid? Oh, the scariest. God, and then Mother Brain grew some fucking legs at the end and shoots that like multicolored beam. You're like, oh, I'm dead. What am I going to do? And you're clicking all the buttons and she's like, she's killing me, she's killing me, she's killing me. And then your Metroid kills itself and saves you and you go to hyper mode. Sad. I cried. I cried. Spoilers. First time I cried is when my, my baby Metroid, my baby, baby, baby Metroid uh, <laughs> died and somehow gave me the energy of the Metroids. God, that game makes me sad. See, games these days don't make me sad like that. When I think about these games, it makes me sad, like when shit happens. When Terra Someone Nigma. hasn't played Walking Dead. Yeah, right? Man, my, yeah, my character in Walking Dead just doesn't speak, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, Brandon only chooses the silent option. He's the silent oh. strong type. Obviously, the way that you feel about the Super Nintendo, that's how I feel about the Genesis. But I love the Super Nintendo as well. What Genesis games do you think rival the things on Brandon's list? Everybody loves Sonic, of course. I think so Sonic 3 and Knuckles is still my favorite game of all time. I never get tired of replaying it. And of course, Sonic 2 is one of those as well. I think Rocket Knight Adventure is an amazing game. And that's a game that has a counterpart on Super Nintendo, but the Genesis one is far superior. At least the original one is, because there's, there's two on Genesis and one on Super Nintendo, and the first Genesis one is the best out of those three. I really love that game. It's interesting because you mentioned a lot of RPGs, but when I was growing up, I wasn't into them at all. I didn't get into them until really late, so I don't really have a lot of RPGs to list off. For me, it was mainly platformers and action-y games. I love them now, for sure, but when I was a kid, I didn't play them at all. My first Final Fantasy was Final Fantasy IX. Damn, son. I know. That one is, is, is okay. I like I it. Mm. <laughs> it's better well, than eight, guys. It's better than eight. My Super Nintendo experience is actually shared with someone. John, our SciTech correspondent, who you heard from earlier, talking to Claire Evans, he's my younger brother. And so us getting the Super Nintendo was actually as far back as he can remember with video games. So we'll hear from him. And uh, we're also going to hear from the crews of Wicked Anime and Epic Piecast. I'm John from SciTech. My first experiences with video games was actually when I was really pretty young. We had just gotten a Super Nintendo and we only had two games for it, which I guess was like Super Mario and uh, Zelda, Link to the Past. So, I mean, those are two actual, real, proper classics. This was beyond like the 8-bit days, you know, you were moving on into like the real stuff with the Super Nintendo. I mean, you know, later you would see stuff like Chrono Trigger and all, all that on there. So this is when like it wasn't just little tiny squares you could actually make out that that was like really a person as opposed to like some sort of abstract art. But this was before I had started actually like setting up my own electronics. I mean, I was five or something. So I just remember like my dad having trouble getting it all together and, you know, sort of a lingering impatience the entire time. But we started playing Super Mario and me and Cap were just going through them levels like fast as we damn well can. But dealing with platformers for the first time has a decent learning curve up on that, you know, like I'd like to add that one as a child does not go through Super Mario World particularly fast. I mean, there's a 107 or eight or so levels in that game. And which it made it a proper game. It, it took us years and years beyond that to even remotely scrape that well and that doesn't really include of course the marvelous hidden levels which i feel really lacking in today's world i mean it had starland and then it had that crazy ass place afterwards that was even more psychotic what's that called i think it's called special world oh right special world exactly what i mean you know you have like a sort of hidden thing and then you have like an extra hidden thing and like 10 levels in each practically right and then the things that are maybe even more hidden beyond that are the abstract ways to beat levels 
that also count as levels having been beaten. Yeah. Bottom line, that game was a huge ass game. And so, you know, like being a kid, like cutting your teeth on that stuff. And of course, like basically flipping back between, you know, the platformers and how that sort of tries the mind and then link to the past a little bit more like an RPG. I mean, a little bit more. Obviously, it lacks some of the core RPG elements, you know, if you're a purist, but it was crazy getting all them rupees going through constantly looking for secrets tapping on the walls with the the tip of your sword to like hear for the sounds generally i was hooked right away it was very easy to immerse yourself in that i knew it was just pretty good quality stuff to start off on there hey this is luke nerdy show participant my uh, earliest video game memory is me and my favorite cousin and one of the few times he stayed at my house in a darkened basement with the only light being final fantasy 3 on the screen and uh, just being mind-blown that a video game could achieve such a thing. And that uh, something that I thought was such a solitary pursuit could also be enjoyed with other people. I told him, my cousin, that that was what I was saying. And he's like, that is also my earliest video game memory. So we had a moment of like, <laughs> so we're going to go hook. Hello, everybody. This is Wicked Anime, and we are here to talk about our first video game experiences. We're going to do a little bit of a roundtable with the main crew of Wicked Anime right here. We will start with me. I am Andrew from Wicked Anime. My first video game experience is with Streets of Rage on the Sega Genesis, and that's the first Streets of Rage. When I was like three years old, my uncle said, here, this is video games, and, uh, Streets of Rage 1, still to this day, remains one of my favorite games ever. I have it on my 3DS, and I play it... Every day? Yeah, daily, and uh, and it's awesome. Yeah, mine was the same experience, because we both played at the same time, pretty sure. Yeah, Jonathan and I were uh, Genesis kids growing up. We still have our first Sega Genesis, still works, and we still play it every day. Genesis was still one of our favorite systems. Still is. And bands. Genesis was God. Yes, Genesis is still one of my favorite bands, too. Genesis is there an awesome band. If I was born in the 80s, I would have been the biggest Genesis fan He's ever. He's a true Genesis fan. Yeah, they're awesome. Mm. All right, with the two of us, we also have Dylan and Glitch. What do you, what do you guys right. tell us? Tell us who you are. I'm Glitch, co-host, hippest man in the room, black guy, you know, all this good stuff. <laughs> like My first experience that I can vaguely remember is having an NES and playing Super Mario and Duck Hunt. Nice. But even past that, I remember mostly playing Battletoads. Yeah! <laughs> that game is hard. And never finishing it. <laughs> like, even if I was two years old, I got kind of past the Turbo Tunnel a few times playing it back then. <laughs> and I guess that's why I can still play it now when I get enraged by the tr- tunnel because <laughs> I just got used to it way back when. I'm Dylan, and I guess mine was back in... It must have been around 1999 or 2000. We were house-sitting during Christmas, and uh, some uh, family members came over, and our older cousin had bought my brother and I an SNES. And along with that, we got Super Mario World, WWF Royal Rumble. Those are the main two that I remember, but uh, I believe that was the first time I'd ever played a video game. Wow, that was really late to the game, huh? How old were you? It had to be like 9 or 10, right? 9 or 10, yeah. Wow. I had stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, preschool. Places to go. I businesses to start, you know, they call them startups. I remember watching Nick Arcade when I'm playing video games back then, <laughs> though, too. I, that's, yeah, that's just the first ones I remember, really. I mean, I probably played those, like, crappy handheld things. <laughs> yeah, two-button McDonald's toy games. Yeah, yeah probably. Um, well, I, actually, when you said video games, we used to play Frisbee with a VHS tape, so... <laughs> Um, and <laughs> that is like as literal as you get. 
if you could see the look I just gave <laughs> And I would, I would have to say, um, as honorable mentions, as far as early gaming goes, a couple of my favorite games to date probably have to be Vector Man yeah. for the Sega Genesis. One of the best games ever. And Subterranea for the Sega Genesis. Subterranea I still play to this day as well. And I only got to the final boss once. <laughs> Just once. Game is hard. One of my favorite games of all time still, too, is uh, Earthworm Jim for the Sega Genesis. That's a given for me, though. Oh, yeah. I'm such a Doug Tenapel fanboy. It's honorable mention for me would have to be Sonic 3 game and Tomba. Sonic 2 was the best. Sonic 2 was the best glitch. Suck it. (laughs) The end. Hi, I'm Shafer the Dark Lord, rapper and co-host of the Epic Piecast. My first video game experience was playing Pac-Man at a bowling alley in a small rural town in southwest Iowa. It made me both love video games and incredibly neurotic. Hi, I'm Nelson Lugo, magician and co-host of the Epic Piecast. My first video game experience was playing the hell out of Donkey Kong on my old ColecoVision that I got for Christmas. I played that game so much that I actually tore the knobs off of the joystick. Hi, I'm Charles Stunning, the other other host of the Epic Piecast. I'm a burlesker, musician, and comedian, and my first video game experience was the worst until I discovered Animaniacs on Super Nintendo. Then I played the ever-loving crap out of it, and won. Austin, aka Killplix here. My first memory of a video game. I was probably not even one year old. It was Congo Bongo on the Intellivision, and uh, oh my goodness, such vague memories of this game, but very good memories that stick with me you walk across like uh alligators and uh there's waterfalls all i remember mostly though was just like the colors and the level design i liked walking off the waterfalls and stuff i could barely probably hold a controller at the time so i don't remember much hey this is charlie from fangamer and my first video game experience was the christmas whenever i was four years old and my parents decided to buy me a a regular nintendo and they had super mario brothers 3 and we just sort of all gathered around the television it's the only time i can ever remember my entire family just gathered around and playing super mario brothers 3 and trying to get to that first spade spot and uh they never got any further Man, you started with Mario 3. How did you even play other games after that? (laughs) I I think I just stuck with that until the Super Nintendo came out. (laughs) John reminded me that Zelda Link to the Past is also one of the best Super Nintendo games of all time. It is. It's still my favorite Zelda. It is like the best. I want to give a shout out to Charlie from Fangamer, who we just heard. They recently completed a very successful Kickstarter called You Are Now Earthbound, which is effectively a multimedia love letter to one of my favorite games of all time, Earthbound for the Super Nintendo. It's a quirky RPG with the biggest cult following of any game ever, and the Kickstarter more than tripled their initial goal, so they're going to be producing a slew of new Earthbound memorabilia, including an all-new handbook for the game, two albums of music inspired by the game's score, a book about the localization of the game from Japan to the US, and a documentary about Earthbound fan culture called Earthbound USA, which features interviews with the game's creator, the man who translated it for Nintendo, tons of personalities who've connected with the game, uh, including me. Does it feature interviews from the guy who refuses to bring it over here? You mean Reggie Flees and me? <laughs> yes. Well, the game is out in America now, thanks Yay. to the Wii U, so certainly some archive clips will be in it. I don't know if they actually secured a, a Reggie <laughs> interview. But one, one of the other things they funded, they also funded their first convention, Camp Fan Gamers, happening next year in Tucson, Arizona. And it's going to be awesome, and you can expect to see us there. Everybody we talked to had some kind of a video game experience, but not all those experiences were positive. So. Right now, we're going to hear from a few people who haven't had the greatest luck with video games. 
First, we're going to hear from score composer Paul Haslinger. He was a member of Tangerine Dream in the late 80s and was with them when they composed the score to one of my favorite films of all time, Miracle Mile. He's since composed for films, video games, and TV, including the Underworld series, Far Cry Instincts, and the recent AMC drama about the 80s personal computer revolution, Halt and Catch Fire. What about Legend? He wasn't with them when they did Legend. Damn! <laughs> we didn't actually interview him for Nerdy Show, but I interviewed him for Consequence of Sound, and I figured I'd pop the question to him too. I'll link to the interview on this episode's page. Hi, this is Paul Hesslinger. My first video game experience was when I worked on my first video game that was um, Far Cry Instincts. Ubisoft came to Los Angeles to sort of have like a spotting session type meeting in Los Angeles. And as part of the meeting, they were showing me the game. They were showing me how it worked. And in a half hour, I decided that that was an incredible game. And I could not believe how fast they were executing it and that I would never be able to be anywhere near as fast. So that was the beginning and the end of my, my career as a video gamer. <laughs> Just to see somebody who was doing it really well, do it really fast, and they go like, okay, I give up. <laughs> so that's unfortunately not a, a great story to recount, but it is a true story. My name is Neil Harbison, and I'm a cyborg artist. And my first video game experience was, I don't know the name of it, it was some kind of gorilla, and it moved, and that was my first experience. But uh, I, I was really completely not interested in it. I, I just <laughs> didn't see the point of the whole thing. I never really played video games. I was very unelectronic at that time as a child. <laughs> this is Michael Grant, author of the Gone series, author of Berserk, author of Magnificent Twelve, author of Messenger of Fear, the upcoming Soldier Girl, and. I'm telling you about my first unfortunate experiences with video games. I guess my first is probably like Pac-Man, although I used to play Galaga a lot. My first experience with modern games was pretty much my last because it was like a um, Star Wars game or something. And I get motion sickness. So I get nauseous while I'm watching them, you know, like those shooter games, which I you know, would love to do. But uh, it's just like, oh, my God, it's like being seasick. And then you're, you feel horrible for an hour afterwards, so I just kind of don't do it. My son is the gamer in the house. He's very big on anything that Valve does. We pretty much lost him. Every time something new comes out, he was into Minecraft for a long time. So, yeah, I, I leave that to him. I'm Steve Murphy. I'm a writer of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. That Puma Blues. And my first and only experience with a video game was playing Tomb Raider over and over again. And I could never get past the point when Lara Croft has to get over this, I don't know what it was, like a little bridge, and there was a bear on the ground below, and I could never get her across, and I would always, she would always fall and get killed by the bear, and I never played another video game in my life. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. The controls on that game are fucking awful. They're pretty legendary for being clunky. I don't know how that series was as popular as it was, because it is virtually unplayable. It was, there was the cover art and the magazine art. That's why. <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's the only reason as a kid I was like, hey, well, maybe this game could be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you watch the licensing shows around that time, like I was doing, I always had um, a real actress dressed up as her. She always had this hot babe, you know, yeah. playing Lara Croft walking around. I was like, oh, I'll try that game. But I could never get past that freaking bear. <laughs> okay. That's it. I, never, I really never played a game. That's wow. The pride life all due to that bear. Yeah, Tomb Raider, you know? Just not very good at all. I love that game. I still beat it. <laughs> well, the good for the, you, the second, asshole. Dude, the second one had, like, the same controls, but... I think I was, had Tomb Raider 2. I love the second one. It was, that's, like, the best Tomb Raider game. 
I never could finish it. I played it, but I don't think I got very far in the game. I mean, I haven't played the, the controls new really got to me. She controls like a tank. We've covered a lot of history with gaming, and there's no shortage of world events that have shaped and affected the game industry. But so far, we haven't heard any stories that have touched on moments in history outside of gaming. Here's one from Lefty Lucy, actress, burlesker, and a cast member of our tabletop role-playing show, Dungeons & Doritos. Hi, I'm Lefty Lucy, and video games and I have an interesting relationship. My family wasn't poor when we were growing up, but we weren't in an income bracket that purchasing things like video game systems was happening. So I pretty much played my dad's Atari from when Atari first came out until I was about 10 years old, maybe even younger, eight or nine. One day, my dad and I went to one of his friend's houses because I was going to be getting his Nintendo and some games. And we get to the house and I remember it being kind of weird while we were there, my dad kept emphasizing that his friend was only letting me borrow his Nintendo and that I was going to give it back. He just wasn't able to use it right now. And I remember it being strange and it wasn't until after the fact that I realized I was being given this Nintendo because my dad's friend was dying of AIDS. And I don't know if my dad was trying to create the sense of hope that he wasn't going to die or hide the inevitability of it or something. But every time I played that system, I thought of him. And the first time I ever owned my own video game system, it was actually on lease because of the AIDS pandemic. Wow. Jesus. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty heavy <laughs> stuff. She felt bad about being a downer, so she shared a fun story too. <laughs> and here it is. <laughs> And following it, uh, we'll hear from Rule, Game Master of Dungeons & Doritos, whose first video game experience truly shaped his life afterwards, and also, in some ways, the fate of Nerdy Show. I have tons of happy-go-lucky memories of like when my dad would like have dates or be going to parties during the day. We would go grocery shopping and get all this junk food, and I'd come home, and he would set up my Nintendo in his bedroom with one of those big boyfriend pillows and like all of the food. And I would pretty much just spend the entire weekend like sitting in his room, eating everything and playing Super Mario 3. And even with the whistles, I couldn't beat the last world ever, ever. That's my non-downer story. All of my good stories tie into daddy issues in some way, shape or form. Hey, this is Rule. I'm the Game Master at Dungeons and Doritos. And my first game experience came after actually playing a bunch of Atari games, but it was my first real game experience we got a sega master system that was like on clearance it was all stupid games until i got miracle warriors which was my first like rpg but i didn't know what i was getting at the time i thought i was getting this game with these really cool graphics it wound up being a game where most of the time you moved a little white square around a map in the upper left corner and you watch landscape shift in the background until you fought a monster and it just showed you a picture of this monster which looked really good whenever it got attacked or got hit it just kind of shake and his health bar would go down that was like the essence of the game but it had this huge world where like you would go to these different continents and stuff you're a little white square but you'd go to different continents and you talk to people and explore villages and dungeons and stuff i mean it was a role-playing game before they could really do role-playing games like before final fantasy came out and fantasy star this was pre those games I spent so much time in this game. It came with this big wall poster map. I had push pins in it with sticky notes. I begged my dad to let me call a tip line 
And he finally let me call a tip line just so I could get through this really tough part in this game. And it was like the most incredible. This was my first introduction to anything RPG at all. I'd never even heard of it. Never knew what that term was game-wise or pen and paper-wise or anything. And it was an accident. I thought I was buying something completely different. And I bought this game. And it just blew me away. This is Friday Night Fan Fiction crew, Steve-O, David, Logan, Roy, and Val, and these are our first or early video game experience. Let's start with uh, with David, who apparently already has his picked out. Okay, yes. so my first coming of video games tale happened when I was around four years old. I was over at my aunt's house, and my cousin, who was like 14 or 15 at the time, was playing an NES, and he was playing track and field. He was using a pin cap from a Bic pin to do the ABE really quickly, and <laughs> I grabbed the controller because it was my turn to play, and I just used my two fingers and, you know, was really good at that like that because he was, like, training with his thumbs, and I apparently beat him by using the, the spider fang method. And then he kicked me out of his room, and I wasn't allowed to go back in there. <laughs> Your first experience of being better than someone. Yes, that was my first experience. And then you just and couldn't they, get enough. You had to do it again and again and again. Well, at that point, I was like uh, four, so your automatic thing is going, Mom! You're four, so it sounds a lot higher. Pitch. Mom! And uh, she didn't take my side. She thought video games were dumb. Wow, okay. Roy. <laughs> it's hard for me to think of any one particular thing, because I just grew up with them always around me. I do remember the first video game that I that was kind of I and my brothers owned as opposed to playing at a cousin's house or something was Lilac Wars, that's Star Fox 64 for you American plebeians. And it's a great game, but because we were stupid kids, we only ever were able to play just the easy path and beat Andros on the regular path and fight the robot head Andros. And eventually we got told about, no, this is how you go beat the, all the levels the secret ways and you go the hard path. And we did that. And if anyone's played that and they know the kind of shit that you go through towards the end of the hard path, like Area 6 and onwards, it's really hard just in general, let alone when you're, what, four, five, just get all the way up to Andros and then he starts exploding and we're going, yeah, we totally beat him. And then a few seconds later, he suddenly explodes and there's a fucking brain. And he goes, ah, oh, I'm going to kill you. And you're like, oh, shit. We don't know what to do here. Uh, fly around. Oh, shit. Oh, shoot. Uh, fucking go shoot him. Oh, God, he's caught us. Oh, God. Oh, we lost our wings. Oh, God. And it just felt like a massive victory when we like, were barely able to kill him and then started dying over and over in the escape sequence. But getting to actually make it all the way out of there and earn Falco's begrudging respect felt really good. Guess I should be thankful, huh, Fox? Logan. I just remembered what I'm pretty sure is my first video game I ever played. The original Tony Hawk Pro Skater for the PlayStation 1. That was back when I didn't know what a video game was. You know, it was one of them TV things. One of them dead TV things. One of them dead TV things. Because I was more of an outside kid back then. Hey, I was an outside kid, too. It's just that whenever I got, you know, tired of sunburn, I would go inside and play Sonic. Well, see, I'm not, a, you know, a ginger, and I don't burn easy. I'm not a ginger either. I'm a daywalker. <laughs> wow. So, Steve, what was yours? Well, I was going to go to Val, saving me for last. Oh, yeah. look at you. You're the most important. For me, I do remember it was thanks to my dad. We had a console in our house, and we ended up with the NES. 
I didn't know a single word of English, not even yes and no at the time. And it didn't help that one of the games that we owned was Dragon Warrior. I had no friggin' clue what the heck I had to do. And it was life and death between the slime and I each time I got out of town. And I would just end up walking all around the castle and exploring. And that was about it. Faxanadu, once again, another balls hard game for someone who speaks not a single word of English. And then I had Mickey Mousecapade that I really enjoyed. It only was uh, until we had an SNES with Link to the Past that I finally got to play through some sort of game with a story that I could understand. So which video game was it that helped you learn English? Because you should really get your money back. (laughs) (laughs) No, it wasn't really games that helped me learn English. It was actually cartoons like Ninja Turtles. My first video game experience was when I was three or four years old and I was sick in the house with chicken pox. My Nana bought me a Nintendo Entertainment System bundle pack, the one that came with the Zapper and the combination cart, Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. And I just I don't remember actually playing because I was really terrible, but Mm -hmm. I remember calling her up and thanking her very much because it made me feel better, and I felt like crap for like a week and a half. Was... (laughs) <laughs> it definitely stuck with me. I do remember my second video game that I got for the system was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and my next purchase was almost immediately a Game Genie. Oh, hey, I was a kid, and I made it to the fourth world without getting any Game Genies. Sure you were. Oh, I did. Seriously. I had, I had the Turtles game, too. Go- that damn mission, I got through on the first try. So easy. You just gotta sacrifice Raphael, that's all. Here we see... David's first experience of being better than someone, and his most recent experience of being better than someone. <laughs> but actually, this was like 10 years ago. I kind of peaked at that point. Yeah, we know. Yeah. Hey, this is Travis Beecham, writer at Pacific Rim. My first video game experience was Mario Brothers, and I don't remember a lot about it other than just at a really early age, I had a TV in my room. And very shortly after that, I had a Nintendo in my room. And so I think my attention span was banned really from a very, very early age because I can remember playing that for hours on end and it seems sort of silly now. Like what junior games now consist of. It seems like how could anyone just move those five pixels around on the screen for hours on end and be fascinated with it. But no, I played the hell out of Mario when, uh, when I was a little kid. This is Jermaine from Nerdy Show. I'm somewhat divided as to how to like technically define my first video game experience because technically my first experience would be Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. I was probably like three years old at the time playing it at my neighbor's house. I have vague memory of fighting, but the only thing I remember is the scene where you're jogging and Doc Lou is following you on the bicycle. And in retrospect, that means I lost. It's game over. But to me, it's like, oh, I'm just pressing buttons and I'm doing stuff. This is really fun, but I have no idea what it is. So really, my first video game experience would be Super Mario for the original Game Boy, like the brick. It's actually the first game I owned and probably the only game I owned for about maybe five to six years. So imagine me not having much toys. and I'm playing this about every day and cannot get past 
the fifth level. I only ended up beating the game by I would often lend it to other people and I would watch what they would do mechanically and I would study everything they did and all the secret parts where I could find the mushrooms that I never knew about playing at the first run or any other run till seeing them. Eventually I finally beat it. Then it basically turned into a restart and they made the levels much harder by putting bigger monsters at the first level. It was very hard. I'm pretty sure once I'd gotten up to that point, I lost. It was game over. I had to start back from square one, not in hard mode, but the original mode. And I had pretty much given up at that point. Now, a little piece of context that uh, didn't come up in Jermaine's monologue is that that time where he was playing Mario Land and it was the only game he had for five or so years, he was in Jamaica. So, oh, yeah. Man. That experience of, one, having the same game for that length of time and nothing else, and also learning how to get better at the game exclusively by watching others borrow it from you and play it, it was very unique to his experience on the island. Do you remember when video games had tip lines? Because well, yeah, one of them, you know, someone <laughs> mentioned that in one of these interviews, and I'm just like, I actually remember calling a tip line. I think, like, Nintendo Power, I had, like, all the Nintendo Powers, the magazines, and, like, they had tip lines in them. Who the hell was running those tip lines? Like, you'd call and get a real person. Well, you, I, I, I can't even fathom that, like, uh, calling up today and be like, hey, hey, I'm stuck on this level of Call of Duty. Everyone's just killing me in multiplayer and running around and headshotting me. What do I do? Mm, grab that firm controller <laughs> and grip it tight. What are you wearing? Well, it, it's interesting because, I mean, like, for example, Jermaine in Jamaica did not have tip lines, did not have gaming magazines. When the internet started having, like, game FAQs and stuff, they all lost their jobs. Well, immediately. sure. But I mean, chances it wasn't are, wasn't a good job in the first place. I, I would suspect if you're an enterprising guy, in middle America, running out a warehouse, running a phone tip line for video games, you're also probably running several other tip lines out of that same business. <laughs> it would only make sense. You know what the great thing about the tip lines were, though? I didn't pay for it. Well, yeah, and that's why <laughs> my that's why my, my parents it. would have killed me if I'd called one of those tip lines. Yeah, man, I was such a spoiled little shit because my household just had the internet earlier than most people did. So my dad looked up cheats for me and I had a little text file on my computer with all my tons of game cheats and I just felt like the coolest kid ever. I just imagine you guys had the internet before like anyone and you go online and whatever search engine, if there was one existed back in the day, like AOL or Yahoo, you're like, search for cheats on this game. It's like zero entries found because no one else <laughs> is on the internet yet to set that up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like, sure where my dad found the original ones. He just pretended that he knew. He basically, he called the people who made the game and had them email him a text file. <laughs> Use nets and stuff, cool. I would imagine. And mucks. Up next, we're going to hear some recollections on later games, mixed in with more tales of gaming from either younger folk or simply people who had later formative experiences. But first, we're going to step back to the second generation of consoles and hear from nerdcore rapper Megaran, co-host of Bits, Rhymes, and Life, here on the Nerdy Show Network. My first video game experience was probably with the Atari 2600. I remember that Christmas day. I don't remember what year, but I can remember coming down the steps in my Superman pajamas, complete with footies. And I may have had a cape and seeing that big box and knowing that it was an Atari 2600. Now, I think at the time I only got the pack-in game, which was Pac-Man, the best possible game you could possibly get as a starter. And um, I remember sitting at home and playing that game probably 24 hours straight. My mother was such a hard worker that she had to work, I believe, that Christmas night 
She was a nurse, so she worked overnight. And they don't get any holidays, so she had to go to work Christmas night. So I remember my babysitter coming in. A lot of this is, is even told in the story Grow Up, but in just different ways. I remember my babysitter coming in, a lady named Erica, watching me. And just basically, she, uh, she had the easiest job. She earned so much easy money because she just sat on the couch and watched me sit in front of the television, legs crossed, Indian style, just staring at the screen in my Superman pajamas the entire day and into the night until it was time for bed. Also remember that as I went to bed, that uh, she used to sneak a friend, a boyfriend into the house and they used to hang out overnight. So I think on that Christmas night, she did the same. Uh, so sorry to bust you out there, Erica, but, um, you know, get your groove on. That's definitely my earliest and probably my still my best video game memory. Just being so wowed by the graphics, by the sounds, by the I still hear those sounds in my sleep. And then uh, when I sit down in my, my mom's house. In the living room, I think about those moments of me sitting in front of the floor model, just going to town. It's definitely shaped who I am now. That's still on the top of any video game experience I've ever had. Peace, everybody. This is Kate Murdoch, co-host and producer of the Nerdy Show's Bits, Rhymes, and Life with my partner in rhyme, Megaran. And was thinking about a pretty early and somewhat formative, or definitely for me, a more memorable experience when it came to gaming. You know, a lot of people might recalling stuff when they were young, and um, that's all well and good, but I think one of the ones that I most remember was my freshman year of college. It was literally the first semester, and I got Final Fantasy VII, and it changed my life. Now, the irony of this is that anyone who's seen myself and Mega Ram perform knows that I'm a big proponent of Final Fantasy VI. I think that's still probably my favorite of the Final Fantasy entries. But Final Fantasy VII was so revolutionary in its own right. And um, the thing that I most remember about that game, I mean, I became obsessed to the point that I probably, I don't want to say fl almost flunked out of college my first semester in, but I got really into the game. Like, that's all I wanted to play. Specifically, I remember putting so many hours into that game. I remember I got to the end of the game and I didn't feel like my characters were so juiced enough that I completely started all over. I mean, I literally got to that point in every Final Fantasy, and anyone who's played Final Fantasy knows that where they ask you the question twice, like, are you sure you want to proceed forward? Because once you go forward, you can't go back. And you say yes. And it's like, are you really sure? And it was like the cave that you enter to go eventually down in and, and see Genova and Sephiroth and all that stuff. And I got to that point and I was just like, man, I don't think my characters are like juiced enough. So I started completely over. I mean, from scratch. And at that point, in that particular run through, I had about 60 hours log. Now, the crazy thing was I got like obsessed about getting like the Knights of the Round, the Golden Chocobo, of course, which you needed to get Knights of the Round. And, um, you know, fighting some of the weapons and whatnot. And I wanted to get all my, my characters to level 99 and had these custom material layouts. I was nearing the the counter and the screen, the menu screen that always flashes, you know, how much time you've logged in the game. I was nearing 99.59. And for some reason, I thought the game would just lock. And at that point, I had put so much time in leveling up and grinding. I was only at like Costa del Sol, which is not really far in the game. 
And I was like, oh, no, the game's going to freeze. And I remember just remember nearing that moment and, like, that anxiety. And finally, it got to 99.59, and all it did for, like, the next 30-plus hours I wanted playing over that, the counter just blinked for the rest of the game. And uh, for some reason, I was always scared that the game was going to crash on me. If anything, it just showed me that I played the game way too much. So, yeah, that was my most memorable experience with the video game was the time I logged way too much time into Final Fantasy VII, which was a game changer on so many levels. Hello, my name's Kevin Hagedis. I am the singer, rapper, and producer of the band Mouth's Cradle. And a very defining video game experience for me was on Game Boy Color playing The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages because that was one of the first video games I fell in love with. I remember I found the player's guide in a store. Like, this is even before I played video games. And I was just so obsessed with the art and all the different characters and the monsters and the rings. And I just just knew that this was going to be something that was important to me. So I got the game. I consider video games one of the biggest influences of the art I make now, even though I make music and, and not games. But that was a really important moment for me in my life. Honestly, I was kind of like late to the party with video games in general. I was like the last kid to get them. So for a while, my only experience playing them was like, you know, going over to people's houses. Even now, I feel like I'm always a game system behind. But I mean, the games that I have, I just get so lost in that I don't need to keep upgrading all the time. But yeah, the Game Boy Color Legend of Zelda games are really, really good. Oracle of Ages and Seasons are just incredible games. I'm Rock Upchurch, comic artist. My uh, father's video game memory uh i mean of course i started out on nintendo and stuff like that with mario and uh i grew up in a place where you didn't have stuff like that long so all that was stolen from me at a young age but um i remember playing the ninja turtles game in in the arcade in the neighborhood arcade it was the most amazing game ever i was a ninja turtle i will always pick Raphael. my friends would pick whoever else it didn't matter there was only one turtle to me and we would, every time we played it, we would play it from the beginning to the end, nonstop. It was amazing. It was in that time. There was no <laughs> Philadelphia around us. There was nothing around us but the sewers and the streets that these turtles lived in. And it, was, it wasn't the rats running around our house. It was the rat in the sewer teaching the turtles. It was, it was everything that we wanted in the game from start to finish every time. And it was the most enjoyable thing that I did as a kid and I will never ever forget those memories that was poetic man maybe you should be writing this goddamn book and not (laughs) (laughs) the turtles are really powerful like that's awesome they are man turtle power hi this is professor shy guy my very first game experience I remember with my brother playing super mario duck hunt the little slash game when we got the nes and so on and so forth but apparently not a lot of people have had playstations with link cables but I used to bring a TV over to my friend's house, my PlayStation and Command and Conquer, we would link up the cables and play Command and Conquer like a LAN party, but with two PlayStations, and I would often win. If I play Final Fantasy Tactics, I hear Tragic Kingdom on No Doubt, because that's what I was listening to a whole bunch, like while playing Final Fantasy Tactics. And I played Final Fantasy Tactics a whole, whole lot. That's one of my favorites because of the turn-based strategy on that one. I played Vandal Hearts before it, and Vendel Hearts was great, but it was like, whole team goes, turns over, whole team goes. The reason I loved Final Fantasy Tactics so much more, it was that it was intermittent. Your turns, like like chess, like it's kind of like, you know, each person moves. Unlike moving everybody at once and then them moving everybody at once. It feels more engaging if things are happening piece by piece. 
I've never beat it because I'll always start it. I'll start playing it. I'll get so far in it. And then whenever I want to pick it back up, it's been a while and I'll start it over. I play the first half of that game, the first three fourths of that game, more than most games. Shy Guy's there talking about uh, a game that he's never beaten, no matter how many times he's played it, because he doesn't ever finish it. But uh, and I mentioned earlier the first game I ever beat, which is Mickey's Magical Quest on the Super Nintendo. W what was you guys' first games you ever beat? For me, it's probably Sonic, just because my dad and I played it so much, and it's not that hard of a game. Though, I do have a really memorable one that I remember finishing, and it was also a game I played with my dad, and that one was The Neverhood for PC. So my dad and I just played through the entire game together, just figuring it all out, and it was such a special experience to me, and I always remember the end of that game more than most others. This is a very difficult question. Um, it might be Dragon Warrior, or Dragon Quest for all you people. Wow. The first one. Really? Oh. I played it a lot when I was a little kid. A lot. And, you know, it's the game where you can keep getting levels, even if you play 100 hours to get one more level. You know, I did that. I leveled up a lot in order to fight the, uh, you know, the Dragon Lord, whatever the fuck his name was at the very end of the game. But there's a lot of tricks in that game. And I remember, I, I don't know how I figured him out. Like, you can use sleep on the very first dragon. You can just keep casting sleep on him so he never wakes up and hits you at all. And I, I'm pretty sure Dragon Quest 1 was the first game I beat. Cool. And then maybe, like, Secret of Mana and Chrono Trigger. <laughs> Much later. That's some serious you shit, You and your man. RPGs. What? I had nothing else to do. I don't want to go outside. Fucking sun, man. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we have one interview left, and uh, it's a doozy. It, oh, I know what this is. I've been waiting for this. It's a three-in-one tale, but one of the most extreme gaming stories that's uh, ever been committed to recorded history, perhaps. So that's for you to judge. If you have something that tops this, write in and tell us about it. So, uh, without further ado, 
Here's Murphy Weller, Raul Panther, and commander of the Protomen's first video game experience. My name is Murphy Weller, the Protomen, and I have several faint memories from when I first encountered the Nintendo Entertainment System, and none of them are very clear. The one that is the most clear, though, is that I wanted one so hard, so hard, that for probably two Christmases in a row, I told my mother when she was like, make your Christmas list, so I made it, and I was like, all this stuff! Or Nintendo. And for two Christmases in a row, I was thwarted uh, by my mother. Pretty much, and I got, I got denied, denied, denied. And it wasn't until about one night, about two o'clock in the morning, I heard the familiar sounds of Nintendo. My father jumping around, screaming at the screen and cussing at him. Go, motherfucker! Go, motherfucker! Jumping around playing Nintendo. And that was how I got Nintendo, was because my dad went against my mother's wishes and went out and bought one because he wanted one. That's how I was able to get something that I wanted in my life. Now I'll pass my pry rag over to somebody else. What's your name? I'm Raul Panther. I'm the Proto Man. I remember getting a Nintendo for Christmas, and I got Duck Hunt. I was too young to know that you weren't supposed to just slam the barrel of the gun up against the screen and just shot the shit out of those ducks. And I just kept pressing on it and shooting the ducks until I just knocked the TV right off the stand, broke it, and that was how I ruined Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be happy video game memories, <laughs> not, not how no, Christmases were horrible. No, no, one, no one ever said it was happy. Built out of pain okay, and misery. Here we go. My name is Commander Hawkins, and I'm going to tell you a story. What happened was when I was—I don't even know how old—when King's Quest One came out, I was. Just sitting there, playing it on my computer, minding my own business. When I see beautiful flames flying into the house from outside, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'll just keep playing King's Quest. Maybe that fire that's exploding outside will go away. And so I'm just sitting there and playing King's Quest. I don't know. I might have gotten the carrot at that point. I might have eaten the carrot at that point. I might have even gotten to the goat. To give him the carrot and got him to follow me to knock the troll off the bridge. I don't even know. But I was pretty deep into the game. And meanwhile, I don't know it. But my house is burning down around me. And so I'm just hanging. Oh, I should be crying at this point. You should be crying. Sorry, I'm a little too excited about it. At this point, I just realized the house is burning down when I don't even know what was running through my head at that point. Aside from, well, at this point, I need to go find the key to the door that will get me into the clouds so that I can kill the giant. So I wasn't really moving out of my spot because I didn't even probably know how to save the game at that point. So I wasn't certainly going to get up from the computer and let it burn down around it. So I needed to keep playing while the house was burning down. And at that point, my mom kicked in the door to the house, the front side and grabbed me and just threw me out in the yard to get me out of the burning house. And at that point, I watched my house burn. <laughs> <laughs> That's so horrible, but I can't stop laughing. Oh my God. Sorry about Those your stories house. just got kind of worse. Those, worse. Those are my three favorite stories we've collected <laughs> so far. So far. I was raped by an Atari. Here's the thing. Here's what happened. The worst part is, I lost my save game. <laughs> 
Oh, God. He, uh, he screamed at his mother, Mother! Why did you burn the house stay? down? <laughs> I think I beat myself. <laughs> Why do you ruin everything, Mom? <laughs> the golden egg and everything. <laughs> you bought me the game just so you could burn the house down. <laughs> Punish me. I hate yeah. my life. Oh, that's so good. That is how the protoman started. <laughs> That's my favorite story. Oh, God, it's so we, good. We've been keeping that one for like a year now. Yeah. It's been hard to keep that one under wraps. It has been very, very hard. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this epic journey into video game history. This is all because of one enterprising fan who supported the network, Benjamin Britt. Thank you again. All of the Nerdy Show Network, this show, all the shows on it, are completely fan-funded. We uh, recently opened up a Patreon so fans can now subscribe to the network, get more perks than ever before, and we can work towards making our minimum monthly costs to run the network, which is $400. As of this episode's recording, things are chugging along nicely, and thanks to some one-time donations, it looks like we're shaping up to have made out okay in November. I don't know what Patreon is, but it sounds like a superhero, or, <laughs> but like a robot <laughs> patriot. Well, Patreon is what's going to save us from poverty, Brandon. Like a robotic yeah. patriot. Patreon. Give me your money, I am Patreon. It's a crowdfunding thing that basically allows you to subscribe at different levels like you would a Kickstarter, except this one goes on forever. So you want Nerdy Show to stay alive? Then $5 every month, for example. Depends on my mood. Sure. <laughs> you can always change your That's... donation. You can always back out because you get cold feet. You but we hope you can don't. You, back? you can't back out. You yeah, can't like, take your money back. Well, once it's in, it's oh, okay, in. Yeah. But, you like, but you can cancel your subscription. It's like a bang, Please like, don't. I'm withdrawing the hundred I put in two weeks ago. No. But uh, so, yeah, it's been phenomenal. We got to give shout outs to some recent Patreon backers. Berto Elcon, Anthony Rubert, Joshua Westfall, Lauren Furs, Noah Matson, and Eric Maxiner. Woo. And also some kind folks who've given us some one-time donations in uh, the month of November. Mauron, who said, Patreon? <laughs> the old ways are best. JK, I look forward to setting up my account soon. <laughs> Oh, Malron. Dylan Hoffman said, I'm a month late on this, but 50 bucks at Wicked Anime's 50th episode and to getting more involved here. And Hoodoo Voodoo said, shout out to the whole network. I realize we haven't heard from the Gazetteers in nearly a year. Is everyone okay? The Gazetteers was an article series running on Nerdy Show of a nerd commentary by women for everyone was their tagline. And uh, as you've heard in this episode, those of them who were hosts on Nerdy Show are all still with us. If you want to check out the archives, well, you can do it on nerdyshow.com. We'll link to it on this episode's page. And you can also head over to thegazetteers.com. Starting this month, we'll be delivering personalized shoutouts to all of our Patreon backers donating in the $10 and above tier. So be sure to check your Patreon messages and let us know if you've got any special titles you'd like to go by, things you'd like to say. Elsewise, we'll just make something up cool sounding for you. If you would like to come up with a Nerdy Show microsode, then you can do it through Patreon. Starting at the $5 tier, we have a microsode raffle available, and uh, each successive tier gets you a different amount of tickets in our monthly drawing. So you have the power to shape future conversations, and, and if you have a true stroke of genius, then your suggestion may possibly turn into a two-year endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> if we like it enough. It could happen. If you have a first formative video game experience that you want to share, whether it's to top Commander's story about his house being set on fire, or to uh, add to the discussion about what first video game experiences were like in countries outside of America, like Jermaine, then uh, comment on this episode's page or join us in the discussion on the forums. You know, you've just convinced someone to top his video game story. Someone's going to go what, home on after purpose? listening to this and be like, 
two days ago, my children and my wife were all murdered while I was playing a video game and turned on the gas. <laughs> like, I mean, now they're going to go out and kill people because of what you just said to top him. If you can top it. Please don't do that. Well, yeah. If they were going to do that, they were probably going to do it anyway. I mean, Thank if you're you, mentally Jonah. imbalanced, go crazy. We just don't endorse it. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Brandon. Bye, I'm Jonna. We'll see you next week. Or not, depending on what you do. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Well, I've got some sexy secret things to tell you. Uh, not really too secret. I do say them at the end of every episode. But if you liked what you heard, it is imperative that you follow my every word. First, I want to thank you for listening to Nerdy Show. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows in the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, shopping at nerdyshow.com store, or, most importantly, by directly donating to the network. Any size contribution gets you exclusive Nerdy Show outtakes, dramatic readings, images, and other crazy stuff and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. But if you really want to level up, find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming. Just visit nerdyshow.com sponsorships. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes store, and for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. So to recap, tell a friend, donate to the show, and connect with the entire Nerdy Show network crew online. We're glad to be your home for authentic nerdy entertainment. Do you guys remember on the PC back then, there was a chess game? Battle Chess? The quintessential PC title. It, yeah, they would turn into bloody. things and they yeah. would like attack. Yes. That was amazing. Oh my god! god. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.